available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout 247 Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout 247 Network. And we are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. We're going to recap Week 5 and preview Week 6. If you have any questions for us, you can email podcast. I'm sorry. It's pac12podcast at gmail.com. I'll get, I'll get my podcast mixed up, Dave. I do a lot. Um, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Our Twitter is at Pac 12 Podcast and our website is Pac 12 Podcast.com. Pretty simple. And you can even leave us a voicemail 641 715 3900 is the number. Use extension 734972. I know we got a bunch of questions today, Dave. We've got a ton of questions. I even think there might be a couple of voicemails that I didn't tell you about either. Oh, good. So, so well, I kind of, I mean, I'll try to do those as we go, you know. Yeah. I, we'll, I, we'll need to, we'll probably need to pause and do that again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, there's so much to talk about. We're nearing the midpoint of the Pac-12 season, so we're starting to get some clarity on things. We're starting to see who really sucks, who only kind of sucks, who's a little stinky, and who might actually be good. It's a lot of fun. I love this time of year. It is. Um, let's well, let's start with some really good. I just got an email from uh, Dave Hirsch, you know, from the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. He sends uh, your Pac-12 Players of the Week every week, and we just got it, so... Um, I don't know. Little shocked by this, but Bryce Love won for offensive player. I mean, he only had you don't say. Three, you don't say. Only three hundred yards rushing. Uh, I think he's averaging twelve yards a carry on the season or something. So I guess that's. I'm not a numbers guy. That's fine. Five games into a year, that doesn't seem abnormal. No, uh, I got a couple of notes on him too when we talk about his game. Uh, Washington State got the defensive player and special teams player. Uh, so Jihad Woods uh, from Washington State, and uh, he got that. That strong name. Huh strong name yeah uh he got i think he got the sack fumble on sam darnold at the very end of the game uh but had a big game too and then eric powell uh the place kicker from washington state had a big game as well i think he had three field goals and uh three extra points so um stanford washington state washington state all pac-12 north teams dave so i think um i should note this up front i think like several um usc people who saw me as a friendly face on twitter uh unfollowed me after this really <laughs> Well, you were, you know, there was some glee there, I would say. There was... I, I wasn't, I wasn't tweeting with a lack of glee. I was just, you know, I was just so excited for Washington State, you know? Yeah. Like, as a longtime Kooks fan, I, I think, uh, it was just overjoyed with, uh, with what the Kooks were able to do. And That's I, like, it was. it was weird for me. That was the first time I picked, we'll get into that later and stuff, but I, you know, but like last week, man, I was sitting with UCLA fans at a bar. Cheering mm-hmm. on the Bruins and they were failing for me. I didn't, you know, uh-huh. uh, this yeah. week I didn't have to, I didn't have to cheer for him. So that was kind of nice, but, um, <laughs> cause I didn't pick him. Um, no. we got a, we got a new format. We do. We have enough, we, <laughs> not a new format actually. Um, so we're dumb. Uh, I just want that out there up front. Uh, we're very dumb. We have degrees, and... but they don't mean anything. <laughs> no, they don't, they mean nothing. Like Ryan's some sort of engineer, if you can believe it. Uh, and, you know, I, I got a BA in history after only five short years in college. So, um, but we, uh, 
we completely forgot how we formatted this podcast last year. Uh, I know, I know. It's almost as if we had a long layoff where we didn't really pay attention to what we were doing. Uh, but we're now going to go through the power rankings and recap the games during that rundown. And then we're going to preview the games by time, make this a little bit less confusing for all of you, make it a little bit more streamlined for us. And it should be a, a fun, fun show. Yeah. And to be fair, I, you know, we were doing two shows a week before too. So there was like a recap show, you know, a, and a preview show where, you know, we combined those in one. I kind of think we did the all in one last year too. And I think one of the people tweeted us like, I wish there was a way you could find out what you did last year. Oh yeah. Those podcasts are still <laughs> up. It's like, yeah, idiot, but we're not going to go back and listen to them. So. I, 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 I cannot listen. taking you all behind the curtain i can't listen to any of my podcasts after they're done that's why usually the sound quality is so bad (laughs) i mean not usually it's general laziness but i actually i cannot sit there listening to my voice it drives me insane i just can't do it um yeah i don't i'm not a big fan of doing that either but uh, yeah i I, i'll try to edit the sound but it's not like i'm gonna listen to the whole thing and um, no just impossible yeah so we'll go through the rankings. We, the rankings have definitely shifted around a little bit. Um, and we'll, when we get to the highest ranked team that's played in a game, like, you know, when there's two teams, when we get to the highest ranked team of those two teams, we'll talk about the game and recap that. And then we'll go into the preview. Only five games this week. There are five games, uh, or five week, five games in week five. And there's five more in week six. So a couple of teams got to buy. Um, so I guess we should jump right in, Dave. Let's do it. All right. Our number 12 team. Big surprise. Oregon State Beavers. Yeah, they lost. We'll talk about their game in just, well, probably a little bit. Probably a long bit, right? Long, long (laughs) bit here. Most likely, unless for some reason Washington won a convincing fashion and then dropped far in our power rankings. Right. Um, You never know. You never know. We like to keep you on your toes here. Yeah. Because they are, you know, our power rankings are very important, but. Somewhat random, so <laughs> completely volatile, and sometimes just us trolling people. But whatever. <laughs> All right, our number eleven team. This is a drop. Colorado Buffalo. Hey, look! When you lose to a team as bad as UCLA, you're gonna fall. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll we'll get to that game uh, in a little bit. Our number uh, ten team. Actually, the team is looking pretty good. Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> They were on a bye. We have no game to recap. Yeah. But, yeah, they, they, they didn't look horrible against Utah in week one, so we'll, we'll preview their next game in just a little bit. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, I thought they were looking great in the bye week. So, yeah. um, I think, yeah, I I think they look great against bye. Yeah, they did. They did. the hell out of it. <laughs> and for some reason, these two teams always like to be next to each other in the rankings. I don't know why that is, but number nine. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> so, ASU. They lost to Stanford, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll recap this game. I think there were signs for optimism here, but we'll talk a little bit more about it in a little bit. Yeah, there's some signs there. Uh, let's see. We have uh, our number eight team. California Golden Bears. Another team that we were optimistic about that also lost to a team higher in the rankings, Oregon. Uh, so we will uh, talk about this one in just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I think this will be the first time we're going to actually recap a game. Uh, our number seven team moved up in the rankings. UCLA Bruins. Simply by default, um, if any of you stayed up to watch this game between UCLA and Colorado, I pity you greatly. <laughs> I did it. Um, I regret it horribly if I wasn't getting paid. 
some amount of money to watch it. I would not have. Uh, it was a horrible game to watch. Both teams were very sloppy. Somebody had to win, and it was UCLA. Um, this was a game I think UCLA finished up favored by like eight or something crazy. Um, we both picked Colorado. Both felt pretty good about it, and both were vindicated. But uh, UCLA played badly. Colorado played a little bit worse. Um, both teams dropped a ton of balls. Colorado dropped a couple of them in the end zone. Um, the complexion of the game would have changed if either team had been sharp offensively. Neither were. Um, but neither team was really great defensively. It was more like their offenses just kind of stopping themselves. Um, really just kind of a uh, one of those just Pac-12 night games that are like the opposite of Pac-12 after dark. Just nothing fun happening on the field. Um, I likened it on Twitter, and I still feel about this way, that it felt like, well, it felt like a very UCLA game from like late period Rick Neuheisel, or even late period Carl Durrell. Just kind of sort of a mess very sloppy, very sleepy. Um, UCLA won, but you know Colorado did some weird things. Um, they didn't kick a field goal at the end of the first half. Instead, they tried to fake a field goal. That was, um, that was awful. It was horrible, horrible. <laughs> um, and so they missed out on those three points. Um, and if it was a 27-26 game at the end, it would have changed the end game for Colorado. Instead of heaving up a Hail Mary, they would have had a chance to get in a field goal range. And maybe they have a chance to win it. Um, so I think if you're questioning a, a call there, I think that's one specific one. But Colorado also had two drops in the end zone um, that could have been touchdowns. Um, on UCLA's side, I mean, Josh Rosen played pretty well, uh, but he also suffered a bunch of drops. Um, and, you know, UCLA obviously did not play at its optimum level offensively because it's been a good, very good offensive team this year. But just kind of a sloppy, sleepy game. Neither team looked good. Um but somebody had to move up and somebody had to move down in the rankings. So there you go. When I was looking at the, so I, you know, looked to make sure who we picked because I don't really remember most of the time because <laughs> I don't feel that strongly about it. But the, um, I was like, okay, so wait. Suddenly you don't feel that strongly about it when you're on the losing end. I, well, I, I had a winning record this week, just not a winning record like you had, which was five and oh, if I'm not yep, mistaken. Yep, 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 um, yes. So we picked two games differently. I got them both wrong. You got them both right. The three games we picked the same, we all got right. So, um, so it's, I think it's a good week for the, both hosts. I would say, like, you don't have to worry about who wins and who loses. We both had winning record. I like that. That's good. Yeah, it was it was a good week. Just some <laughs> for some, it was more good than others. But but I had to look at this game. Yeah, I'm like, wait, so UCLA's favored in this game? Like, it, it wasn't clicking. I'm like, okay, so Colorado by seven, right? No, it's UCLA by seven. Um, but Colorado should have won. Like, they should have won this game. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I thought they missed more opportunities than UCLA did. I think UCLA was, I mean, if you looked at both these teams optimally, like playing to their talent level, UCLA should win, but you know, that's never been the case with UCLA. Um, Colorado missed more opportunities. So yeah, I think they should have won the game. Yeah. That, that throwing a pass to the kicker, like sideways, like, like that just didn't make any sense at all. Like take the points yeah. there right before the half. And Steve Montez, he's not known to be like, this running quarterback but he had a couple really nice runs in this game and like you said a couple of drop touchdown passes i think with those touchdown passes you look at his stat line you're like montez had a great game you know but there was just some like you said missed opportunities um i felt like that the fake field goal certainly was was didn't help uh but i thought ucla had i mean rosen had 372 yards passing i think it's a seventh straight game over 300 yards uh which is like a school record um, Sosa Jamambo had 70 yards rushing, so that was pretty good. He had 100 yards last week, so getting a little bit more consistent run game. I thought UCLA played pretty well, but I agree with you. This seemed like it was Colorado's game 
to win or lose, and they they chose lose, you know. Yeah, and you know UCLA defended the zone read in this game as if they had literally never seen the play before. <laughs> Like, it was like what is this? It was like it was like 2007 all over again, and West Virginia is just Steve Slayton and Pat White every single play. They're just gonna they're just gonna mesh it up and see what happens. It was like that um, in that second half. Steven Montez had two carries where the only thing that stopped him was the sideline. Yeah. It was great. Five star cornerback, uh, true freshman Darnay Holmes got targeting uh, got called for targeting against Phil. Hundred percent a good call. Yeah, but that was it was first half, right? So he's not going to be out yeah, anymore. He'll be fine for the next game. But okay. yeah, he uh, he uh, he lowered his head. It wasn't called on the field. It was called on review. But it was a good. I thought it was a good call live, and I thought it, I mean I thought it was a good call watching the game. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Should, any more notes, or should we move on to our? No, no, no. I don't want to talk another second about that game. <laughs> okay. <Our> number... <laughs> you seem like a little upset that they actually end up winning that game. I, I, <laughs> I was I was upset that I had to watch it. Um, <laughs> And that nothing interesting happened. If UCLA had lost, it would have at least been interesting. Um, but as it was, it was just that's why it felt so like late period Durrell or Neuheisel because it like it also was like just a really really banal win, um, you know? Yeah. Just yeah. Jim, you know, Jim. I watched the press conference after. Jim Morris seemed pretty upbeat about how hard the team was working, and and you know talked about afterwards. Hey, you know, you can't just rest on your laurels. You got to like work even harder for the next one. So, you know, it, it seemed like he was the right message. It seemed like the players were rallying around them after losing the last two games. Sure. <laughs> okay. So you're not buying this, that. Was, this was a heinous football game to watch. Okay. Like, like I, I, again, I just want to say it up front. I like, I, I went to UCLA. So I want to apologize on behalf of the entire school that anybody who watched this game actually sat through it and watched it. All right. Well, our, okay, our number six team we have. Oregon Ducks. All right. Oregon uh, won against California, beat them by three touchdowns, but it came at a price. Uh, the Ducks lost Justin Herbert uh, for a period of time of at least a few games, if not the season. I think that's the story now. Um, he, I, I think the word is he broke his collarbone. Yeah, I think it's collarbone. Collarbone on his non-throwing shoulder, but anytime you're breaking your collarbone, that's going to be multi-weeks. Um, so they're going to begin the Braxton Burmeister era um, in short shift right here. And we'll talk about the game that they're going to play uh, next week in a little bit. Um, but they also lost Royce Freeman. And I don't know that we've gotten an update on Royce Freeman's status um, for this coming week yet. I think he's going to be – I think it was just sort of an out indefinitely. Yeah, it was like an arm uh, thing, and it was really – it was like in the first quarter, I think, really early in the game. Yeah, and, you know, credit to Oregon for basically controlling this game even with all of that happening. You know, Kenny Benoit uh, really did a nice job in relief of Royce Freeman. If they're going to – I mean, you hate to, like, see it, but if they're going to lose a player, at, at running back is a – you know, it's a it's a decently deep position for Oregon. You know, they've got Kenny Benoit, they've got Tony Brooks-James – both of whom can tote the rock. Um, quarterback is where they're a little bit hurt because Taylor Alley is not, he's just not a Pac-12 level player. Um, and we're, we're going to see if Braxton Burmeister is because um, it sounds like he's going to get the look. So Oregon controlled this game. Um, they look just like the better team. I think the biggest storyline for them outside of those injuries is just how good their defense looked against Cal. Completely shut down Cal's rushing attack, which you know, we had thought was maybe a sneaky strength for Cal after um, the USC game where they kind of went away from it in the second half, but they looked like they could run the ball in USC. 
they didn't run the ball at all on Oregon. Um, Patrick Laird did basically nothing. Um, Zvick and Wary was just a non-factor entirely. Um, they, they just got completely shut down in the run game. And, uh, you know, Cal was able to throw the ball a little bit, but this was a pretty poor defensive performance for Cal as well as not being able to run the ball. They're looking, you know, maybe this is just kind of a letdown game after kind of shooting their wad a little bit against USC, but they look like they might be fading a little bit right yeah. here. That's, that's definitely possible. And they're, Oregon jumped on them early, even with the injury to Freeman. Um, I think it was like 17 nothing. Uh, and Taylor Alley comes in, I think threw a pick and Cal ended up scoring before the half. And you thought like, all right, this is Cal's opportunity to kind of get back into it, but never really did. And like you said, the, when we saw that offense working, it was, it was based on the run game, you know, and, uh, you know, Bowers, I thought was fine. He was, he was 23 of 41, 255 with three touchdowns, but it was like to the wide receivers where I think when they were really effective, they were not only running the ball, but throwing the ball to, to, to running backs too. So, uh, I don't know. It was, uh, I, I thought Cal could have done better in this one. Maybe it was a little bit of a hangover game, but Oregon at home is never easy. I think we both picked the Ducks to cover and they did, but the way that went down with all the injuries and stuff, you thought that Cal could have put up a little bit more of a fight. And, uh, you know, in the end it was, you know, 45, 24, they, you know, Oregon kind of ran away with it. Yeah. And I wonder how much of it was, I mean, they probably, well, I, I think they, you know, this might be closer to their level. They might've been playing over their heads a little bit the previous few weeks. And also, you know, I think they're probably gearing up for that USC game last week a little bit more um, and come away a little empty-handed in a game where, you know, they were really in that game. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of just a hangover effect from that. I wouldn't be shocked if that played into this. Yeah. This was Justin Wilcox returning home. He played up at Oregon. There's um, that. Yeah. Some- but uh, I don't know. Did, I think overall it was like, it, I, I didn't think they like blew as many opportunities as like Colorado did, but I just felt like, Cal could have played better. Like the, they didn't, it didn't seem like they played as well as we've seen them. And like you said, maybe it's just kind of coming back down to earth a little bit, but, um, I thought yeah. they might play a little better. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, I, so in our picks, I picked Oregon, but then when I did my little picks column for bro, I, I probably forgot who I'd picked in our podcast. Oh. Um, but I picked Cal. So oh, I well, I'll, I'll change it. I'll we'll switch it. Yeah. For, that's fine. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't anticipating them getting blown out by three touchdowns. Yeah, um, I really wasn't either. But what was the spread? It was like I, it was like thirteen or fourteen and a half or thirteen and a half. I think it was under it fourteen. A lot. Yeah, it varied a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Our number five team making a resurgence. Stanford Cardinal. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. So Stanford beat Arizona State 34-24, and early on it looked like, well, I think pretty much in total, uh, it looks like UCLA very much did cure uh, Stanford's offensive woes. <laughs> uh, the story of this one was, I mean, as it's been kind of all season for Stanford, but Bryce Love is a dude. Um, he had 25 carries for 301 yards, set a Stanford record uh, with three touchdowns. That works out to a 12 yard per rush average um now that's great that's wonderful he he's he's just a phenomenal player who's like just an explosive touchdown waiting to happen at any given moment uh but kj costello went in there and he played another fine like kevin hogan-esque game didn't make any mistakes 
just looked solid, made all the right throws, didn't look perturbed at any point by anything that was going on on the field. Um, UCLA helped Stanford find its future, you know, three-year starter. That's what I think is come out of this <laughs> past two weeks. Um, Stanford's defense, I didn't think was all that great. Um, Arizona State was actually able to run the ball. And if you've paid attention to Arizona State over the last couple of years, despite that nice tandem of running backs, they really haven't been that successful running the ball. Um, but Kalen Balaj, Demario Richard were both able to get a lot of things going. They did some nice sneaky stuff with Kyle Williams to get him the ball. Um, Arizona State kind of threw out all the bag of tricks in this one, um, trying to make something happen. And they were hanging in this game uh, for a good long while um, through the end of the first half, really. Um, but then Stanford took a little bit more control uh, in the second half. Um, and, you know, when a, when a guy like Bryce Love is having that kind of game, it's just hard to win um, because he's just, you know, every other time he touches the ball, he's carrying it for about 30 yards. And that's just... That's just no fun to play against. But um, nice win for Stanford. I think they're starting to, you know, do that Stanford thing where they're just slowly waking up from a from hibernation, realizing they're three and two, and saying, "Oh, oh I guess we need to win seven straight games now." <laughs> uh, and they're looking a little, a little bit, not quite what we thought they would be in the preseason, but they're looking a little bit more like that at this point. They are, they are, and I think Bryce Love is now in the picture of as far as the Heisman Trophy goes. Um, you know, they they lost the two early games. His worst game was against USC, but he, that was 17 carries for 160 yards and a touchdown. So that was his worst effort. Um, obviously 300 yards, 301 yards is his best one. If you watch some of the runs, I mean, there was, there was some really good blocking at times where he had a lot of space. And once he got an open space, he made guys miss, but there was a lot of ones where he was running through bodies, you know, and just like knocking people off him and stuff. So he, it was like all different ways to make yards he was doing it and i think david chofterward said he had never seen anything really like that it was pretty special and just historically and we know stanford's had a bunch of like runner-ups as far as the heisman go uh, i think stanford would need to make some sort of run but because of the numbers he's putting up that's so crazy so historically through five games uh he's fourth all time with 1088 yards through five games um it's second the pac-12 marcus allen had 1136 back in 81 and he's fourth all time. So um, no one outside of Marcus Allen's ever done this in the Pac-12 through five games. And Marcus won the Heisman. I, I don't see, as, as long as Stanford keeps it rolling and doesn't lose a bunch of games, I think he's got a real shot if the numbers keep up. Um, the, I thought he, the Stanford defense, I thought, did a great job against Manny Wilkins, who really played well against Oregon. He was only 15 to 24, 181 yards again and two interceptions. But ASU was able to run the ball more. So that's probably going to be Stanford's Achilles heel on defense going forward. But that secondary, I think, is still really good. They still can make plays. They can still turn the ball over. Um, and KJ Costello hadn't, didn't have to do that much in this one. Um, but it did. But the, the, the really impressive part about Bryce Love is ASU held Royce Freeman under 100 yards last week. And then Love goes for 300 this week. So, um, Love is for real. I mean, he's legit. Yeah. And here's a fun stat. Uh, so he averaged 12 yards per carry this game. That was only his third best game, according to that stat, this season. <laughs> he that? had 14.2 against San Diego State on 13 carries and 13.8 on 13 carries against Rice. Um, UCLA, hey, here's a stat for you, Bruins fans. UCLA actually held him to his least yards per carry this season at only 8.8. Wow. So there you go. Gives you more extension, I would say. I think that's extension territory right there. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Pretty good. You're probably making some people mad about saying that. I'm probably making a lot of people. <laughs> All right. We, we like to make people mad. That's what we do. That's uh, what we do here. Okay. Number four, dropping out of the number one spot. USC Trojan. Oh, we'll talk about these people in a little bit. Uh, they lost to Washington State on the road. Yeah. Uh, you might you might have saw that game. It was on a Friday. Yeah. Um, okay. Our number three team, kind of, maybe this team's sneaky good. We don't know. Utah Utes. We don't know this week because they were on a bye. Yeah. Uh, beat the crap out of it, but uh, they were on a bye. We'll talk about their game coming up in a little bit. Um, and we're going to see, I guess, how Tyler Huntley, Huntley's health is doing. Um, but uh, we'll talk about them in a second. Yeah, they're they're kind of moving up. Who's you know, it's uh, it's it's wide open in the Pac-12 South, uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a good race in the North. Our number two team falling. No, they actually stayed the same. Washington Huskies. <laughs> All right, so Washington, um, so if you watch this game, so you look at the final score, Washington beat Oregon State 42-7. to I'm going to give a shout-out to Oregon State here because, okay, yeah, that final score doesn't look good. Um, Washington ended up covering comfortably. This first half, Oregon State was giving them all they could take. Oh, yeah. uh, this was 7 nothing at halftime. I watched a truly, truly disturbing amount of this game live, um, and – Oregon State's defense was doing a really nice job against Drake Browning and company. Um, and offensively, they weren't great, but they were moving the ball a little. Um, they had a couple, well, not really. I mean, they, they had a couple of plays where they looked like they might be able to do something. Mainly, this was a really good defensive effort for them, um, in the first half. Um, just, you know, they just can't score. Um, and then in the second half, it completely got away from them, but, um, given how bad they've looked this season playing a credible half against a true top 10 opponent look you take the the small victories where you can get them um and i think that's a small victory for them um forcing so let's just do the tally of punts they forced okay they they gave up a 10 play 98 yard touchdown to start out the game not great but then they forced one two two punts three punts and a missed field goal in the remaining four drives for washington in the first half and yeah, they gave up, um, one, two, three, four, five touchdowns in six drives in the second half. But hey, we're talking about that first half and the first half was very good. Um, figuring out something offensively has got to be a key. Um, well, still figuring out everything defensively has to be a key. It's weird how far Oregon State has regressed, um, this year because they were looking like a dangerous opponent last year. Um, but this represented, I think, a small baby step forward. Yeah, this is, uh, this was one, what was the spread? It was like 27 and a half and we both picked, um, yeah, we both picked Washington. So watching the first half, you're like, crap. This is like, they're not going to cut. This is one of those weird Washington games. They win like 21 to three and you're not going to cover, but they, uh, they did. So it was nice. Um, Daryl Garrettson ended up getting a start for Oregon State. Uh, it was, eh. um, Ryan Nall, <laughs> Ryan Nall had a pretty good game. Nothing no, great, no. right? Um, it's funny. So watching Jake Browning, uh, he had a nice TD run too. So another TD run where a guy, you may not expect it to expect to it, but he had three touchdown passes to Dante Pettis, uh, who really got slowed down the previous week. So it was nice to kind of see him get back and, and rolling again. Um, Browning has, uh, 19 straight games where he has a touchdown pass. So that's, uh, that's pretty good. I felt that they, they, Bumped the tempo up in the second half, Dave. I don't know if you know. They, I think that kind of got them in a rhythm. They just weren't really in an offensive rhythm. Um, 
But if you watch too, and it was funny, if you, I like to watch the Pac-12 recap show on the Pac-12 network. They really got into Browning. Like, for, they won, they won 42-7, and they were really critiquing him, showing all these passes he missed. I mean, he threw three touchdowns to pass, but they were like, oh, he could have hit this one to him. There were some underthrown balls for sure. Um, but they, they kind of highlighted a lot of mistakes that he made, which I thought was kind of interesting. But, you know, it's one of those things that we talk about and some of the people on Twitter were getting on us, but he does do well against the, the worst teams. You got to make sure that you're going to do well against the better teams, you know? So I want to see how he throws against the Stanford secondary. I want to see when they play Washington state and, you know, whoever they play in the championship game. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? But it, it did seem like he missed some, but it's hard to be, it's like, it's hard to be critical when your team wins 42 to seven and you threw three touchdown passes. Yeah. And I, I think people get hung up on the arm strength thing. And it's not like whether or not a guy can loft a pretty deep ball. Cause a lot of guys can do that who don't necessarily have the arm. When, when people are talking about arm strength, they're talking about your ability to throw a laser out to the sideline. Yeah. Can you beat the corner who's in like press coverage by throwing this ball on a just rope to the sideline? And he doesn't have that arm. He tried that a couple of times and it got broken up, but that might have even been the pick. I'm not even sure, but he tried that a couple of times and it got broken up. Now he throws a pretty deep ball. It's kind of like the Trace McSorley thing where nobody would say that guy has a cannon, but he throws a pretty deep ball. And I think Browning has that same thing. He can place it. He has touch. Um, he's, he's got a good feel for where receivers are going to be and he's able to kind of play it from the intelligence standpoint. Like he knows, he knows, he, he really trusts his receivers. He's got a good feel for everything, but. Arm strength is where he lacks, and in this game, I thought Oregon State played him pretty well in the first half. I don't know about the second half, but yeah. in the first half, um, I thought they played him pretty well and uh, and kind of played on that um, aspect of his game where he's just not the strong. He doesn't have that strong arm, and it doesn't make him a bad quarterback. It doesn't make him even a below good quarterback. It's just um, I think that's one of his limitations that he's clearly learned to compensate for yeah. um, with a lot of the different tools in his toolbox, but... Um, Arm strength is not not one of them. One is funny. One of the throws was kind of like this, you know, a lollipop sort of throw where I think it was Pettis was going up the left side and had like a step and a half on the defender. He put like a lot of air under, but really kind of under through it. And then you see Pettis trying to like slow down, but then he slowed down so much that the ball ended up being beyond him. It was this weird play. Yeah. It definitely wasn't a well thrown ball, but he was able to slow down enough. He got under it. Like he could have he could have somehow caught the ball. It would have been tough, but. Right, he know. could have fair caught it at that point. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was one of those ones like that looks like a lot. Like some we saw Trace McSorley do that sometimes, where he throws up these lollipops deep, but like receivers go up and make a catch, and you're like, hey, that makes you look pretty good. Right. Um. Hey, one quick thing on the previous game. Uh, so we both picked uh, Washington to cover. I forgot to talk about. So Stanford uh, was favored by the, like 17, I think, and won what they win by by 10, by 10 or 14 or they, I don't know. They were favored by something. Um. Did not cover. I didn't get to watch as much of this one. I was trying to watch some of the highlights afterwards and then some of the replay. What it seemed like Stanford should have covered this game, no? And they just did not. Like what what did you feel like? Did you feel like they played well enough to cover in this game? Against Arizona State? No, I I Arizona State like really brought a lot to the table. They were they were doing some funky things offensively to try to score points. Um they got Kyle Williams involved a ton on like kind of end aroundy stuff. Um so I thought Arizona State played pretty well, so I think you know beating that beating that spread. I didn't think it was bad. It wasn't like Arizona State played badly. I yeah. think Stanford is clearly kind of hitting a level, 
But I th- and this is maybe a point I didn't address very well. I think Arizona State's actually playing pretty decently right now. Yeah. Um, they're just not quite at Stanford's level, but I think they're they look they look like they have a pulse where they didn't a couple weeks ago. But I think beating Oregon and then they played a I, I thought a pretty strong game against Stanford. It wasn't great, but I thought they played a pretty strong game. I think they have a pulse now. Okay. I, now the the schedule isn't getting any easier, but I, I think they have a you know maybe they can pull out another win in this really tough stretch coming up. Yeah, I was actually out, out golfing when this was going on, and you texted. You were like, "Hey, how are your picks doing?" And I'm like, "I don't know, I'm golfing." But yeah, I was like, "Oh, like Wilkins struggled, but yeah, they ran the ball well enough, I guess." But just when Wilkins wasn't doing much, I thought they that Stanford might cover. But uh, yeah. I, I think I made a declaration. I'm never going to uh, pick Stanford to cover for the rest of the year. Um, I'm just going to pick against Stanford, so they they kind of blew it for me. I get I had put faith in them early. They failed me. I put faith in them here. They failed me, so I think I'm done picking Stanford, Dave. It's my, I'm calling my shot now. And one other, and one other team I'm done picking. Uh, the number, well, not this team, but the number one team, the new number one team. I think for the first time ever in the podcast of champions power rankings, Washington State Cougars. Oh, Cougs. Um, but so, their, their opponent, I will not pick to cover the spread for the rest no, of the no, season. No, 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 no. Never pick them. Uh, Washington State beat USC 30-27. to 27. I'm going to tell you an interesting story about this game. I was putting uh, my daughter, Abby, to bed um, around 8 p.m., 8.30 p.m., my time. So, you know, well before the game was set to start. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put her to bed. Maybe if I fall asleep when I'm doing it, whatever. Not the end of the world. Um I woke up at 1.30 a.m. Um, <laughs> just in time to walk out to uh, the 4th and 13, I want to say. To Tyler Vaughn's, uh, yeah. Yeah, where – well, I, I got there for the 3rd and 13, which was such a garbage play call. <laughs> um, T-Mart going out there just deciding to run a dive. And I understood, I understood the rationale, like, we can run the ball because we're committing to doing two plays here. But it was such a – garbage run that yeah. it was like what are you doing man um and then and then darnold throws up just like a pure prayer but tyler vons is very good at football as he always was in high school and it was weird that he didn't play more before this um and he converts the first down and then it looks like it's all usc right like they're driving they score it's suddenly like oh no and then washington state go, drives down the field eric powell hits the field goal and then on the ensuing drive uh darnold's magic End of game magic finally runs out a little bit and he fumbles on the second play, um, giving the ball to Washington State and the win. Um, this, I, so I watched this game over again after I watched it the first time and like that didn't feel like a shocking result at all based off the way the game went up to that point. Like this felt like a game where it was two good teams playing each other and you can make an argument the better team won. Now obviously USC had a bunch of injuries and stuff and we'll get to that, but I, these are two good teams and i think washington state uh, on that day you know it wasn't a lucky fluky thing i thought they just kind of won and they played good defense played good offense and just beat them oh they did um yeah and there was luke falk was great uh there was some drops i mean he got this one play it was like third and long at like the 35 like going in and he's like running out of bounds like getting pressure all over the place and then hooks this ball up you think he's throwing it away and Two defenders around the Washington, I forget who it was, the Washington State receiver, like in the back corner of the end zone right. and hits him in the hands. Like, you're like, holy cow, did he just do that? And the guy drops the ball. There was a lot of drops. Like Washington State could have, uh, definitely put up more points with some of the balls that were dropped. You know, they ended up kicking three field goals that some of that could have, uh, 
been changed, but there was, you know, for USC, it was, it was interesting. They get this crazy fluke interception. I want to say fluke. It was, Chenin Wusser gets his hands on balls all the time. He's an outside linebacker for USC and he's tied for leading the nation and passes defended at nine for a linebacker, which is kind of crazy. But he knocks it out of the air. It hits the offensive lineman's face mask and bounces back to him. And he goes down. He tries to score, but he went goes down at the three. And USC can't even punch it in from the three-yard line. They throw a like this weird out to uh, Josh Follow, who's a true freshman tight end who's never even been targeted before. So like this critical situation, you throw a ball to a guy that's never even seen a pass come his way in a game. And almost went to pick six the other way. But anyway, USC couldn't punch it in and they end up kicking a field goal. And that would have been like a, I think it was going to be 21 to 10 at that point if they punch it in. I, to me, that was like the uh, beginning of the end. But yeah, that third and 13 play call was, it was like in the top five of bad play calls from T. Martin, the offensive coordinator in this one. They, they ran a flea flicker after like the, they didn't need to on first down that Sam Darnold ends up getting a grounding call because you, you know, that, the ball got dropped. I think an offensive lineman got hurt on that play. And Stephen Carr, the, the running back who did the flicker, seemed to get banged up a little bit. And you're just like, it's like bad play calls that lead to like injuries and horrible penalties and stuff. You're just like, yeah, that you kind of, you deserve it. You don't, no one deserves to get hurt. But when you make a stupid call like that, it's like completely exposed you. And we saw that. And then maybe one of the worst, uh, Pac 12 ref calls that I've seen. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's got an offensive pass interference on. He made this amazing catch, but he was out of bounds. And they called him like a push off. Um, it was like the, it was like, to catch the ball out of bounds. He had a push off. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, it was like the worst. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. Everyone's like, even like national media people were retweeting like the, the gif of it and going, how the heck is that? Pac- this is Pac 12 after dark, Pac 12 refs and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, but Washington State, I thought played not even like great. They played pretty good and won. They could have played even better with some of the drops and won, but they, it was a great, like crazy hostile environment. Um, Mike Leach was completely Mike Leach after the game saying it was like Woodstock with everybody's clothes on and stuff. So it was, uh, it was a, a really good Washington state win. Nice way to end five straight home games. And, and the Cougs are for real, Dave. I think they're for real. That's why we got them. Number one, the college football playoff goes through Pullman. And if the Pac-12 didn't, F this up, this would have been a Saturday game and game day would have been there. It would have been even crazier, you know? Yeah. 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 That would have been fun, but it was fun on a Friday night too. Yeah. I had fun waking up and seeing that happening. It was great. I got to, got to have some of, uh, some of the USC fans unfollow me on Twitter. It was sad, <laughs> but I got through it. Um, yeah. So, and you know, all apologies to our, our friends at the other Washington school. Uh, but this was a nice win. Maybe it won't last, but it was fun. To, yeah. to move the, the, the Cougs to number one. We move them up. But that's uh, it was a great slate of games, and that was our Pac-12 Roundup. Since I forgot to do that at the beginning. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right, should we uh, should we preview games now? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so we don't need any sounds for this one, but let's start. No, not... Yeah, I guess uh, we'll start with the 1 p.m. game on Saturday. All right, at 1 p.m., Oregon State is traveling to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum to take on the now number 14 USC Trojans. Uh, the line <clears throat> is USC minus 34 and a half points. Uh, this game will take place on the Pac-12 network. Um, all right, so I watched Oregon State a little bit. Um, they looked like credible enough defensively 
that 34.5 might be too much for me. Because, so USC's offense to this point has been underwhelming. Is that a fair word? Yes. Underwhelming. I wouldn't say bad. I wouldn't even say it's been like anything below above average, like objectively speaking, but like compared to what we thought it would be, it's been underwhelming. Um, Oregon State's defense looked okay for half against the somewhat similarly, well, I would say underwhelming, but somewhat similarly, maybe not quite as good as we expected Washington offense. I'm going to take the beefs to, to, to beat this 34 and a half. Um, I, I don't feel great about it. 34 and a half just feels like a lot. Um, and I think USC might have some aggression to take out, but they also have a bunch of injuries. Um, you know, a bunch of offensive line stuff going on. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I think I'm pretty comfortable taking Oregon State to lose by like four touchdowns. I just think a full five is a little much. I'm with you. First of all, I made my decree. Uh, you know, I was I had I hadn't picked USC. I just said, you know, I think they're going to play well in this game. I'm going to pick them. I'm not picking them. Uh, now, the, here's the the gambler point of view. USC's one in four against the spread. So you're like, okay, they don't really cover. This is a lot of points. They're probably not going to cover, right? Right. Well, the problem is Oregon State's 0 and 5 and they're, they're not missing by like USC's missing the spread by like four points or something. Oregon State's missing by like 20. It's like some ridiculous number. Like they are not even coming close to covering, but this USC offense has struggled. Um, they were down three offensive linemen. So they had two true freshmen starting or two freshmen playing most of the game on the offensive line. We won't find out till this week, you know, if any of those guys are going to come back. Steven Carr, their dynamic freshman uh, receiver, he's probably going to be out a couple of games. He had a foot injury. Um, there was a bunch of dudes that got banged up. It was a, sort of a mash unit in this one. And, uh, yeah, that's that's just a lot. Like, I think USC will figure some stuff out at some point. Um, I think there's play-calling issues. I think there's a lot of offensive issues. It was uh, when Darnold was pressured, he's normally really good. He had like a zero passer rating in that game uh, against Washington State when he was pressured. That's too many points for me. So I'm definitely taking Oregon State in this one. Not feeling good about picking either of these teams ever, but uh, 34 and a half. Uh, maybe USC gets mad and they just kind of drum it out. But that, USC hasn't actually played a lot of backups either, Dave. So if they get ahead a little bit, they might want to play some reserves just to get some guys work because they've got so many guys injured anyway. Uh, and yeah. maybe Oregon State scored some garbage backdoor. But I think there's enough chance of either a backdoor cover or a just USC's not going to outscore them by seven, you know, 35 points that you could take Oregon State and feel okay in this one. That'd be great because the last time I saw Matt Fink throw a football, it was being carried away in a light breeze in Redondo <laughs> Beach. <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt Fink has not the backup quarterback has not taken a snap yet, so not a not a garbage time handoff, nothing. So, um. USC's not been very good at getting backups, uh, experience. So we'll see yeah. that. All right. Uh, so I think we got a couple of five o'clock games, right? Yeah. So if you're, if you're into Pac 12 football, you have one game to watch until 5 p.m. Sweet. Nothing Saturday, nothing Thursday. And all of them within like a two and a half hour window of each other at the end. All it's but so one. Great. It's so great. You yeah. got to love this scheduling. Hashtag scheduling. <laughs> Uh, oh, so uh, do you want me to say which one? So Arizona at Colorado, you want to do that one first? Yeah, let's do that one first. All right, okay. so at 5 p.m., uh, Arizona is traveling to Folsom Field um, in Colorado. Colorado is favored by six and a half points. What channel is this on? Because ESPN, ESPN doesn't do this, I think, when it's Fox. They won't even let you know for a little while. So give me one second. You just you just talk about this game for a oh, second. Uh, it's on Pac-12 Networks. 
Oh, is it? Yeah. Why don't they have it listed? I know, I'm looking at the Pac-12 release, and it says, oh, uh, you. you know what All they right, don't do, though? Can... They don't say who's the home team. So the Pac- this is my pet peeve of the Pac-12 release. So, Dave, if you're listening, Larry Scott, whatever, it shows you Arizona, it shows you Colorado, but it doesn't say who the home team is or anything. They don't care. They just don't care. Um, Colorado's favored by six and a half. Going to tell you this. Feels like a lot of points after what I saw from Colorado this past week. Um, Arizona looked decent against Utah um, two weeks ago. Now, we haven't seen Arizona in a little bit now, um, but they, they looked like a, a team with a fighting chance. Um, and Colorado just kind of eh, just not great against UCLA. Now, that said, they did miss a lot of opportunities. This is at home. Six and a half is just a little tough for me. I think I'll go Colorado. If it was like a full seven and a half, I'd think about Arizona. But I think Colorado's a touchdown better than Arizona. Um, but I think Arizona's going to win some Pac-12 games this year, maybe starting with their next game after this one. I won't tell you against the, who, which opponent, but uh, I think they, they might have a decent chance in that one at home. Uh, <laughs> but this one on the road, um, I think Colorado maybe has some frustrations to take out. After what was a very frustrating game against UCLA, so I'll take uh, I'll take Colorado minus six and a half. I'm going to go with you on this one. Unfortunately, I wanted you to pick uh, Arizona in this, but I feel I feel like it'll be a bounce back, you know, going home sort of game for Colorado. They did miss some opportunities. I think they played better than what the score indicated, but I do like the way Arizona's played. Um, you know, heading into the bye week. If, if Arizona like won this one, like I don't think I would be shocked, you know? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, but I'm just, my gut's kind of telling me Colorado, but I could see, you know, no, I, if Arizona wins this one, I think it's like, Hey, you know, this is a team that can and make some noise, beat some teams that you don't expect. Um, but I just, my gut's telling me Colorado. I just feel like they're going to bounce back. They didn't play as, it wasn't as bad as, as what you saw, uh, in the Rose Bowl Saturday night. Yeah, I agree. Right. And then uh, the other 5 p.m. game, uh, number 11, Washington State, now up to number 11, uh, going to Oregon, to Eugene, uh, to take on the Oregon Ducks. Um, what channel is this one on? You got that on your release? Because okay, so ESPN the, is failing me right now. The Washington State-Oregon game, that's on Fox with announcers TBA. ESPN sucks so bad. Um, <laughs> all right, so this one's on Big Fox. Um, so there's no line on ESPN, but I just checked over at my college football lines website. This game opened at Washington state minus one, and it has since moved to Oregon minus two and a half points. Yeah. I saw Oregon might very well is going to be without both its starting quarterback and its starting running back. Um, Washington state is fresh off of beating USC at home. And looking pretty good doing it. Like it probably could have put a few more points up and made that even, you know, a little bit more than a, a three point win. Um, I don't have an explanation for this. I think Vegas is starting to maybe respect the Oregon defense a little bit. I can see that playing into this. I think they respect the Oregon running game. Um, but that's a lot to put on the back of what's likely going to be a Braxton Burmeister led team. I'm going to bet against. The uh, the freshman quarterback, um, I'm going to go with Washington State here. I think they have the experience. I think they have the defense. I think they have the the the, the quarterback who's you know played a few games before. Um, I'm going to go with them outright. I, I I think that's the only logical play here. What do you got? Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I think it might have even have been 
Uh, I saw some people tweeting about it where it was like Washington State started maybe even minus two and a half in some places, and it switched completely. So a five-point swing to Oregon minus two and a half. And maybe it switches more later on. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I'm taking Washington State in this one. They looked really good. Oregon's banged up. I mean, we're not sure about Royce Freeman, uh, even though, like you said, they, you know, they, they got a good stable of running back. So you can kind of, uh, absorb a hit there. But with Justin Herbert not in, uh, you want to try to play a team as good as Washington State. Now, this is their first road test. They've played five straight home games. Um, you got to play in Austin, which is not an easy place to play. Uh, we'll see. You know, I'm not sure, but they, I thought Washington State ran the ball pretty well against USC. I would think they're going to be able to run the ball pretty well against Oregon. Um, and when they can run, it complements, you know, complements what Luke Falk and those receivers can do. Um, I just kind of see them putting on a show. I, I, I think Washington State can win by like two touchdowns, you know, but I, you know, we'll see. But yeah, getting points for Washington State, I'd, I'd have to take them. All day, which likely means Oregon wins by, you know, 21 or something. But you know, Yeah, we'll yeah, no, uh, just, you know, we're, we're going to say that. Um, whenever we say things like this, it means the other team wins by a lot. <laughs> like, that's, that's 100% what's going to happen. So, Ducks fans, you're welcome. Yeah. All uh-huh. right, next game up. Um, it's a – everything – so that game is going to be fun. I think Arizona-Colorado might be fun. Oregon State-USC is going to be a bloodbath. Um, but now we're getting into some fun stuff, or fun for me at least. Uh, it's 7-15. Uh, Stanford's traveling to Utah uh, to take on the number 20 Utes, who are undefeated. Um, Stanford's 3-2, and two, and yet, on the road, Stanford is favored by 6 points. Now, there's still no word on whether Tyler Huntley is going to be ready for the football game. Um, it might very well be uh, Troy Williams, um, their senior quarterback who started last year, um, and if you watched Utah's last game against Arizona, the offense definitely changed when Huntley went down and Williams came in. It just didn't look quite as dynamic. So this is more of a traditional-looking Utah team with Troy Williams at the helm where they've got basically no offense um, but a whole lot of defense, whereas Stanford might be figuring things out, as we just talked about. I have no idea what to pick in this one. Stanford minus six like feels like a good amount of points on the road. I want to take Utah, but the lack of knowledge about what where what Huntley's doing at this point and the feeling like Stanford might be getting ready to roll here. I'm going to go Utah because I like Utah a lot. And I think they were really good going into that Arizona game. And there's always the chance that Huntley still plays. Um, but I don't feel great about it. This is probably the game I feel like least good about this week. Um, but I'm going to go Utah plus six. Yeah, I was, I, I want to pick Stanford, but they've burned me too many times. So I've decided I'm not going to pick them to cover anymore. So go in Utah, go Utes. Um, I could see Stanford doing Stanford things and, you know, kind of winning this game, uh, going away. Bryce Love having a big game, but I, the defense for, you know, the defensive front for Utah, I think is really good. I, I think they'll at least slow down Love a little bit. So maybe he only has like 150 yards instead of. 220 or something like that but it i yeah i don't feel great about this one either but i'm just not I, my heart's not into pick stanford anymore they keep burning me every time i pick them so i'm going against them dave well and david totally personal. content to win a game by three at any point yeah so you've always got to take that into account like if you think stanford's favored by six you've got to really think so yeah because he's going to be totally fine winning a game by like two points right. great <laughs> loves that loves that he does um yeah all right all right 
final game of the night at 7.45. If I stay up this late, or, well, it'll be 10.45, so it'll probably go until, like, 3 in the morning. At 7.45 Pacific time, Cal is traveling to number 6 Washington. This is on ESPN. ESPN lets me know that because it is ESPN. Uh, in Seattle, Washington is favored by 27 points against the Cal team we've been talking up basically up until this week. So th- this is an interesting question for me because I've 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 been riding the Cal train for a little while here. Not the Cal train, not the uh, Bay Area uh, public transit system, but the California Golden Bears train. Um and I thought they looked pretty good against North Carolina. North Carolina is garbage. Um, I thought they looked pretty good against Ole Miss. Ole Miss just lost by like 90 points to Alabama. Um, is is Cal any good? Or have they just beaten and played with some teams that maybe aren't as good as we thought they were preseason? Or maybe Cal is what delivers the death blow and you just don't know it until later, right? Right. They beat North Carolina and then North Carolina goes and just sucks. They beat Ole Miss, and then Ole Miss just can't handle it, and they get blown out by Alabama. They 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 play with USC, and then USC goes and lays a turd against Washington State. So maybe Cal's what does it. So whoever's Washington's next opponent maybe needs to worry um, or be excited, whichever. Um, that's a lot of rambling. I don't know what I'm picking in this one. Um, uh, I'm going to go Cal because 27 points feels like a lot. Again, um, I've... I haven't been like super impressed with Washington's ability to blow teams out. I mean, I know they just did it to Oregon State, but it kind of was a struggle fest in that first half. And I think Cal's a better team than Oregon State. Um, yeah, it's it's at Husky Stadium. Um, I think Washington's going to win comfortably. But 27 points feels like a lot uh, uh, against a team that we've been respecting at least a little bit this year. So give me Cal. I think it's going to be close to this, but uh, I'm not going to give them the full 27. You're killing me, Dave, because like that's where I wanted to go. But uh, just to be contrarian, I'm picking Washington now. Um, Chris Peterson, a lot like David Shaw, he's not going to be the guy that beats the spread for the sake of beating the spread. I mean, they they could be up by 17 points in the third quarter and then put in a bunch of scrubs and just you know try to make give no score for the rest of the game. Um, For the standings for the season, Dave. uh, So last year. I think the last two years I beat you, but by like a few games, like not very much. You right, are right, right. crushing this year and not just, I'm back up to 22 and 24. So I'm like two games below 500. I think I can get back up there. I think we're, we're going to get on a roll with our Pac 12 games. You are 28 and 18. Like it is bonkers the way you're picking games. So it's, I mean, I'm on you, fire. You're on fire in fuego. I need to catch up a little bit. I think first I want to get over the hump. I want to get back over 500, which I think we can do this week. But I need to go contrarian somewhere. I was kind of hoping. It's, I felt like you were going to pick these other games that I really liked. You were going to pick the other way. You didn't. I, I'm sticking with my good pick. I really like Cal in this one. I can see Washington covering for sure. I need to do it. I need to try to catch up. So I'm going to take UW at home. Um, You know, Justin Wilcox, he used to coach there. He used to coach for Chris Peterson. Uh, he almost beat Clay Helton, who he used to coach for. I don't think he's going to almost beat Chris Peterson, so I'll take Washington. That, that's my rationale in my head. How's that? Great. I think that's fine and fair rationale. I'm going to win again this week. Oh. <laughs> um, should we get to some questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, let's see what we've got. All right, so we've got one from Scott in Washington State. He says, hey, guys. 
Uh, Pac-12 looks like two Giants, UW and SC, and ten Dwarfs. Uh, this is dated. This is from seven days ago. Uh, I don't know who the third best team in the conference is, and whoever they are, Washington State, Utah, Hunley is an out from up a game. Stanford could be a pretty average team by the time this is all said and done. Wow, this is really dated. I might stop reading. Uh, Todd Graham takes himself off the hot seat for now, but Jim Moore looks and talks like he is a dead man walking at UCLA. Does he make it through the end of the season without a change being made, or everyone knowing it's a foregone conclusion after the SC game? I still think there's a decent chance he does. Um, uh, it's going to require winning probably all of the winnable games left. Um, I don't know that. I'm speculating. But um, beats Arizona, Arizona State, and Cal, and then... You know, maybe sneaks another one out. I think he's completely safe at that point. I think at six and six, he's probably safe. And I think under six and six, then it becomes like how much unrest is there in the fan base and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we will see. Um, also, thoughts on SC getting a bye week before the championship game if they are the winner in the South. If wink, wink, not, not. Yeah, that's a, that's that? a big if at this point. Um, pretty much this week is has, they have to use Oregon State as their bye week, I would think, because they just don't. They don't have one. People are using it as an excuse, though. And I'm like, it's, you know, four games into the season. This was their fifth game. How many teams have a bye week already? A couple, but it's not like not have, if you, if you're going to complain about week 10, hey, you haven't had a bye week, a whole bunch of injuries happen. You get something like that happen in week four or week five. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, that's, you weren't going to have a bye week mostly at that point anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right. We got another question here. You ready? Yeah. Stadiums. This is from Earl in West LA. Guys, I went to the USC versus Cal game this weekend. So these are all a little bit old uh, because we recorded way early last week. Um, I understand millions of dollars were spent to remodel Memorial Stadium. Stadium. It seems like money not well spent as the sound system is so horrible we couldn't understand any public address announcements. There was one water fountain reminiscent of something from elementary school. Worse still, there were no restrooms. Well, I guess there are if you count the 50 porta potties that line the top of the stadium. What, in your opinion, are the best and worst Pac-12 stadiums in terms of fan amenities? That's a good question. Um, uh, I like Stanford a lot. Stanford is so great. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Uh, Stanford is so good. It feels like um, – I don't even know what it feels like. It feels like a pro stadium almost, but not in like that really awful way, just in like they've clearly like just taken care of things, and it just feels well-planned. Um, and it's small. you know. When you've got these big bowls – it's just like it's too big and like everything's the same and everything just looks kind of dirty. Uh, but Stanford looks like a, a just a nice, nice stadium. Um, so I'm going to go Stanford there. Uh, worst in terms of fan amenities? Um, Cal's not great. No, uh, even for like I would say model. neither UCLA nor USC are very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say one of the kind of older school places. I think UCLA or USC would be a fine pick there. I just think they're generally uh, not super up to par. They're older um, buildings, and you know they're yeah. yeah, they're just up. Yeah, they're older buildings. You're not really going there for the like amenities. You're going for like the experience of like going to the Rose Bowl, going to the Coliseum, and you know being yeah. there. But I haven't been to Utah. The only one I've been to is Utah. I need to uh, check that out. I like. I mean, I like Colorado's cool. They have like this big. Uh, Colorado's like this indoor like tailgate area, party area that's kind of cool. Um, trying to think of what else. Yeah, I mean Washington State's new one's kind of it's kind of neat, but they they're as far as like working that game, it's hard. Like the interview rooms like two buildings away, and it's kind of a it's a kind of a mess. Like they they've done some nice things there, but it's still 
kind of small and there's not a lot of room on the sidelines. It's it, that's a little bit of a weird one, but that's not necessarily for the fan experience. That's yeah, like, that's like our experience. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's some. I would I would probably go with Stanford though too. The uh, so I haven't been to the new Husky Stadium. Um, old Husky Stadium was great. Well, that the old one because oh wait did I go did I go last year? Yeah no okay no I think I've been there okay yeah I did go. Um, the, Jeez right I'm like well, I'm old dude I like forget things so yeah so I went um, was it a year or two ago. And, uh, the, the cool thing about the Husky Stadium experience is that you can drive a boat up to the game. So that's yeah, like a whole, great. like. That, that's what wins it for me. I don't care about any of the food amenities or whatever. Yeah. Or how many bathrooms there are. Right. Yeah. I totally um, forgot right, I was there. I'm like. <laughs> we got a question from Anthony. You ready okay. for this one? Hi, Ryan and Dave. First, who are your favorite announcers for college football? Ooh. Um, I mean, I like Gus and Joel, like for Fox, like, uh, Gus, yeah, no class. He gets a lot of bad rap, but I like him a lot. Yeah, I like him. Um, I like Herb Street. Um, I think he's good. Some people don't like him. I don't. You you a fan or not really? Herbie's fine. Yeah. I think he's completely fine. Um, I like I like Adam Amin. I think he's, he's good. good. Yeah, he did the uh, USC Washington State game. Yeah. Um, don't like Rod Gilmore. Rod Gilmore might be the worst person I've ever listened to call a game. He's not very, um, I don't, I'm not a big fan. I was actually at a, like Bruce Feldman's wedding. He was like one of the guests. Um, but I like Bruce. Bruce is a good silent guy. You don't want to insult him right here? No. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything that mean, but I don't know him. Like, well, I think I talked to him a little bit, but, um, let's see. Yeah. I'll give my buddy Bruce. I like him as a sideline reporter. So there's different kinds of sideline reports. When you have like an investigative, like college football reporter on the sideline, I kind of like that. Um, yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Um, I don't like the guy who works with uh, Gilmore and whoever uh, the announcement partner was, who like was on the sideline, like holding up Swiss cheese and like toast, <laughs> like different little food items, like to denote like different aspects of like defense or offense or whatever. It was very, very dumb. But that's those are my thoughts on announcers. I don't really care that much. I generally watch games on pretty darn close to silent. Uh, because I have small children and most games are on very late at night. Um, but, uh, when I do by chance listen to them, I'm mostly annoyed most of the time. Um, so the ones who don't, like Joel Klatt rarely, if ever, annoys me. You know, Yogi Roth, um, I, th- I think he's, he's really coming along, um, as an announcer. Maybe he'll, you know, uh, I think he's, he's kind of getting it together and he's been really, really good of late. Um, so those are my thoughts. Announcers. I'm not a big fan of the uh, the recruiting or the draft analyst guys like McShay doing sideline and who's the other guy Luganville or something like Luganville's bad. Yeah, Luganville not, is, not, is very bad, yeah. and he talks to all the coaches like he's buddies with them, and you just know he isn't, and it's just yeah, yeah. Those guys, it's just kind of like I don't know if it's like ESPN saying, well, you can do the draft stuff, but we need you to do other things. So you be a sideline reporter for college games and stuff, and like. Okay, it, you know, that, like for like a Bruce guy, it makes sense. Like he covers it. You're getting like a little bit of a different perspective. But for McShay, you're like a draft analyst. I, I don't know. It just it doesn't really work for me. When you know Bruce has relationships with all these guys, so when he goes over and asks for like the quick like thirty second sound bite, he might actually get some real info yeah. instead of like just garbage like McShay and others are going to get. Yeah. Hey, I um, um, I downloaded some of these voice. We have three voicemails. We've got one other part of this question. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. And we can get to, uh, then we but I haven't to... listened to them. We're just going to play. I mean, I have no idea That's what's good. on. Whatever. Okay. We only live once. Okay. Um, all right. So 
Anthony says, if Nick Saban or Urban Meyer coached at each Pac-12 school, what would be the ceiling and floor for each school? I'm going to make this really easy. The ceiling for any school in the Pac-12 that hires Nick Saban or Urban Meyer is a national championship. Really? You'd go that way? Okay. Look at it this way. Oregon State has won like nine games in their very recent past. Arizona has won 10 games in the very recent past. Hell, UCLA has won 10 games in the very <laughs> recent past. If you stick any of these like super elite coaches on any of these teams, the ceiling is a national championship. I think the floor, you know, things cannot go well yeah. for any coach at any place. So, I mean, I think the floor is still can be pretty low. I don't think it's much lower than like a pretty consistent bowl team, but I think the ceiling's off. I mean, I I, I don't think it's going to be Oregon State suddenly being a, you know, a 10 national championships in like 12 years dynasty like Alabama or whatever, but I think they would be a contender for the Pac-12 every year and a potential national championship team. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me. I think for the recruiting, like recruiting is such a huge part of it for those guys. Um, And I don't know if you're going to be able to consistently bring in the kind of recruits that you need uh, at an Oregon state or something like that. So, um, I mean, we've seen like for SAUCLA, you're in LA, the California, like that's fine. Like I think Stanford, Cal, California, you're fine. The Arizona schools, I could see it because you're, you're, it's all cl- kind of close by. Um, you know, Utah, we've seen go undefeated. Like we, we've seen that happen. I, I, I could see it, you know, and Colorado's won a national championship before. I could see it. Um, you know, Washington for sure. Oregon for sure. Uh, I even think with Washington State, I mean, they could make a run this year. Oregon State's the one I'm having a problem with, even though they've had, you know, some, some success and like Fiesta Bowl and things like that. You know, it would be like a one year. I, I think if they did it, it wouldn't be like, uh, make a playoff every year sort of thing like those guys are doing now at Ohio State and Alabama. But I could see it happening where you kind of build, build, build a bunch of seniors on a team and it works. Um, I think Oregon State had a bunch of like JC guys. They had like Hushman Zada and, uh, uh, Chad Johnson, all those guys, right? Um, Urban Meyer, um, took, all right, let's he took Utah look. to undefeated season, yep. right? Yeah. He took Utah to an undefeated season. Let's see what he did at Bowling Green. Just pretty well. I think, or like, I could see all of them. I th- Oregon State's the one I'm having a hard timer with, but I don't know. Okay. Okay. Hey, but, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you're so comfortable being wrong. It's good. <laughs> I like it. I think it's, I think it's a, a fun aspect. But of the point is coaching matters. A lot in college, and you get it matters it. a ton that we're even having this debate about Oregon State. Yeah, like that's where we are. It's like, yeah, we can see it everywhere else. Maybe not at Oregon State. That's no <laughs> offense to the Beavs. That's well, it is, but you know, we love you too. Wait, I I love the Beavs. I love Angie. She does an awesome job. Um, those guys just recruiting is such a huge part of what they do. And sometimes the game coaching isn't always the best. They they can rely on like. But what Five fundamentally stars. makes Corvallis significantly worse than Eugene, right? Like they're they're like thirty miles apart. Yeah, it's like you no, know, it's just branding. And if if Oregon State went out there and Urban Meyer was coaching them in like two thousand three or whatever, instead of going to Utah, he went to Oregon State, and he turns them into like a you know a ten ten and two team. And then an 11 and one team and is like two years there. And then suddenly they hire one of his coaches and then they continue playing, being good. They would have had the same brand Oregon did. I mean, they, it's just it's uh, kind of the luck of the draw. I mean, I don't, I, 
I'm in with you, Dave. You got me? If it's a theoretical, like, Nick Saban in Corvallis, championship, ceiling. I got, I'll, I'm there with you. There we go. You. See? I'm with See? you. This is, this is how we win arguments here. Yeah, see? You're just right. Just beat him down until he submits. <laughs> Do you want me to play one of these voicemails? Yeah, whatever. All right. There's one on the left. There's one in the middle, one on the right. Which one do you want first? I want the one in the middle. Okay, here you go. Hey, Ryan and Dave, I wanted to leave you all a voicemail and appreciation of all the work you all do. Please keep it up. Love the podcast. Ryan, we met a few weeks ago at Trader Joe's, and I gave you my card. I'm the person who works in administration at USC and told you that if you ever had any questions about institutional policies or anything like that, please don't hesitate to reach out. Dave, as a three-time USC alum, never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that I would ever follow any social media related to UCLA. You, my friend, have changed that. Your live tweets during the Texas A&M-UCLA game were pure gold. And after following you again during the Stanford game, I can, I can officially say that I am following you on Twitter, and I have absolutely no regrets. So kudos to you. Here's my question. When Clay Hilton and Jim Mora became head coaches, there was a lot of talk about developing a new culture around the programs in order for them to be successful. Recently, a lot of USC and UCLA fans have not been too happy with either one of them for whatever reason. Some of that warranted, some of it not. However, if you look at their tenure, USC became multiple champs. They're on a winning streak. UCLA has had some winning seasons. They have had good recruiting classes, and they've invested in the Wasserman Center. That's, that's great. Do you all feel that Mora and Hilton have succeeded in establishing these new cultures in the programs? And how do you think this will impact their job security moving forward? Thank you. This is Danny from LA, and I appreciate you all taking my question. Bye. Well, uh, good question, Danny. We appreciate the uh, wooing was... us with compliments. I think this voicemail must must have come in for the USC Washington State. It did. So I, I'm wondering if you fo- – I thought it was a terrible Danny, voicemail. Danny, please follow Danny. up and, and tell me if you are still following me on Twitter. Um, I can be an obnoxious Twitterer. It's not, uh, I, it's I not my it. strongest – it's not my uh, it's not my <laughs> finest hour ever. Um, okay, so the question was how successful have both Helton and Mora been in kind of changing the culture and whether that's going to save their jobs if things go south, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's still going to be about winning. And even, you know, Hilton had a 13-game winning streak, and we have fans calling in saying he's over his head, they should go in a different direction. And it's like, you got to win. And, uh, I mean, you win 13 out of 14, and people are still not really happy, mostly people that didn't want him to be hired to begin with. Um, I think the Rose Bowl got Hilton some, some cachet for sure, but I think he's, you know, if they – underperform this year where they're expected to win the South and they don't win the Pac-12 or they don't even win the South, there's going to be a lot of people that are on them. So I don't think changing the culture, all that stuff is going to matter if he if he loses. And I think the same thing with Jim Mora. There's people that are kind of tired of him. And if, you know, if he wins, they'll, they, you want to keep him around. If he's losing games, losing games you shouldn't lose, losing to UC, USC again or something and lose badly for se, you know, per se, like that's, I would see UCLA fan base kind of you know, still being hard on him. I don't know if you feel any differently, Dave. Or... Yeah, I think it's just a it's a different set of circumstances that would get UCLA to make a move. I think than USC. I think Helton didn't start with a ton of um, didn't start with a ton of goodwill, right? And so I think that that the the fan base and also the expectations are a little bit different. Yeah. Um, especially he definitely had to win people over because people didn't want him hired to begin with. Where Mora was more like, "Hey, Jim Mora's coming." 
Yeah, and uh, I don't think people were that excited about Mora when he was hired, but then he kind of built a lot of excitement in his first offseason. He did a lot of the right moves. And honestly, his first three years were like, yeah, there were some issues, like a couple of things, but fundamentally it was pretty much flawless. Um, he handled the off the offseason stuff really well. He handled the on-field stuff really well. He handled all the PR management pretty well. Um, so he was really good the first three years, and I think that bought him a lot of time. It helped UCLA get the Wasserman Center funded. Um, all that stuff, and I think that's bought him actually some goodwill, despite some off-field issues, despite going four and eight last year, despite kind of having a disappointing eight and five season in Josh Rosen's first year, when a lot of people were picking them as a dark horse potential college football playoff team. Um, and this year, I think it is kind of that prove it year, uh, but proving it for UCLA this year, I think, is a different animal from Clay Helton proving it at USC. Um, I think UCLA just and this isn't me talking necessarily, but I think people want them to show progress. Now, what does that mean? It might mean something as simple as going six and six and going to a bowl game. You know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know what progress looks like to, you know, the decision makers at UCLA. Um, but I think for, for Morris purposes, it's more about kind of just taking a step forward after taking a big step back last year. Um, and it remains to be seen whether that's going to happen. You know, the schedule is, is pretty tough um, the remaining remaining rest of the way, and the defense doesn't even look a whole lot better. Um, but to your point, for Helton, I think it's a different animal. You know, if they don't win the South, that might turn up the heat on his hot seat almost immediately. Um, and, and we'll see what the, where that goes. You know, the uh, fan bases are fickle, and that one, you know, that'll put what Helton he'll have had. He was full time coach for two games at the end of 2015, and then all of last year, and then. If he gets through the end of this year, it'll be two two seasons and two games. That's an eternity by USC coaching standpoint. <laughs> He'll be like the dean of USC former uh, former head coaches. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's great great stuff, uh, Dan. Thanks for uh, sending that in. It was nice to meet you over at the Trader Joe's event. Um, well, okay, now what do you want, Dave? Left or right? Uh, let's go left. Left. Okay. Hey, this is King's fan from the P again. I went back and listened to the podcast from November 17th of last year. You guys reviewed each game from the previous week. Then you previewed each game from the coming week, complete with team sounds. It was so much easier to follow. It was crazy. Any chance you guys go back to that format? Thanks. Bye. Another crackpot caller. What is he talking about? Oh, wait. What is he talking about? What nonsense? What nonsense? Yeah, I think there's a chance we go back to it. Um, so he says there's actually even a little bit of a different change. We did the sounds when we were previewing, not when we went through the power rankings. So maybe we switch that up because that did feel a little bit awkward this week, especially when we were going through them quickly. So maybe that's the final move we make. We I, finally know, get it back to where we were yeah, last year by I, like week six. I, I, mean, I don't know. I kind of like the... The sounds with the I power take a poll. We'll take a poll. Email yeah. us. Where would you like us to play the sounds for each team? When we're previewing games at the, you know, the second part of the show or when we're doing the power rankings at the beginning. All right. Um, and then, so th- I kind of feel like he said, maybe this is his voicemail too. I'm not sure, but uh, we'll play this one. Hey guys, this is King's fan from the P. Yeah, it is. Four new coaches came into the conference in 2012. The one who started the slowest seems to have the most job security in 2017. Of the other three, how many get whacked this year and who will be the first to go? Thanks. Bye. Hmm. First to go is Todd Graham. You think? I think so. 
I still think so. ASU's got a really tough slate coming up, and I think he's kind of living on borrowed time anyway. Uh, second to go, still a pretty good chance it's Rich Rod. Yeah. And then I, I, I think it goes like that. I think it's Todd Graham, Richrod, Mora, and then Leach obviously has the most security unless he does something really crazy up there. Yeah, I might put, I don't know. Like Richrod, I mean, it might come down to that game at the end of the year, right? Like the, you know, the territorial. Yeah. Oh, for come, sure. For sure. Um, for sure. But, but I think there's a chance Graham's gone before then. Like, I don't think it's as good a chance as it was before the Oregon game when we all thought they would lose by a lot. Uh, but I think there's still a chance because they still might be like two and six at one point. And I, you know, I guess I, I'm going to agree with you because of the schedule. Because if you look at, yeah. you know, they had a really good bye week, but now you got Washington at Utah, USC, Colorado at UCLA, at Oregon State, and then uh, Arizona. So Arizona's slate is a little bit um, easier. Uh, so you, uh, what, at Colorado, UCLA. At Cal, Washington State, at USC, Oregon State, at Oregon, and at Arizona State. I mean, not yeah. not easy, but not not Arizona State tough, you know. For sure. Cool. All right. Well, those are our vo- thanks for the voicemails. We love it. We've got a bunch more emails. Oh, we do. Oh, crap. Okay. So many more. All right. This is from Brett. Building rivalries. Dave and Ryan. Utah has now been in the Pac-12 for five-plus years now. Do you see any rivalries building between them and any other Pac-12 schools? I ask because this is a conference of traditions, and I feel the L.A. schools are becoming a great rivalry. Do the fan bases in L.A. respect Utah and see a good rivalry building in the next decade or so? This is a really interesting question because I didn't read the whole question. I just read the first part, and I'm like, you know, UCLA kind of feels like it's – I mean, that feels like a game that I'm always kind of circling in my head before the start of the year because those games have – like been very competitive between UCLA and Utah each of the years they've been in that Utah's been in the Pac-12 so I think so yeah. I mean I think it takes a time I think it takes time for any like really good rivalry to build and I think there's got to be wins on both sides but I think that's happened in that game um so yeah I think it's happening I don't know if it's going to happen in that kind of artificial way with Colorado in any real way but I think Utah's and I think they've got a weird thing with Arizona now you know it, they they finally beat Arizona but Arizona had been I think like three and one against Utah, if I'm not mistaken, going into that game this year. Um, and so I think they, they wanted that one. Um, I, I think they're starting to develop a little bit of that. And I think the Utah Stanford games are always a little interesting. So I think they bring a fun style that plays kind of discordantly against the rest of the league. Um, so it makes for kind of fun style switch ups for a lot of teams in the league, but that's just kind of my thought on it. What do yeah. you think? No, I agree. I mean, I think the, you know, the natural like paired up rivalry with Colorado, you know, artificial or whatever, but I think there's something there just knowing that that's like, you're the, that's your partner, you know, that's the one you want to beat. It, you know, obviously it's created, but it's, uh, I think there's something. And I think, I think with USC fans too, there was, you know, that was Sam Darnold's first start and they ended up losing on the road. I think there's been some good, back and forth uh matchups with Utah. So yeah, I would I would say for the LA schools for sure. And then like this like you mentioned the Stanford games were kind of fun. I think all of the you know the Pac-12 South, it's like you're in this group of six schools. There's not that many. You play five you know, every year you're playing each other. So the as the years go by, I think that's building up more and more. And it's obviously a team that people respect. Um, you know, Kyle Willingham's a great coach. I think it'll change if Utah gets over the hump and they're not like uh Nine and four, nine and four, nine and four, finish second, finish third, finish second. What that kind of school. If they, hey, they win the South. Like we haven't ranked third now, right? If they, yep. they win the South and they beat everybody else, that changes things. So 
Um, and it would make it even more of a rivalry. So I think they, getting over that next hump of actually winning the South would be a big plus for all of that. Yep. All right, this is Bruin Brian, the future of UCLA football. Hi, guys. Dejected Bruin fan here wondering about the future of the UCLA football program. After the pathetic performance by the coaching staff versus Stanford, and to a lesser degree the players, I have great concerns for the UCLA program. Clearly the defense of this team is in shambles, and there's probably little that can be done about it this season. I'm expecting the team to finish at 6-6 six and six or worse this year with 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight a real possibility. If that were to happen, I'd expect Coach Moore to be let go. Here's the problem with that. Dan Guerrero is still the AD at UCLA. Clearly Guerrero has poor judgment when it comes to hiring a football coach. Can either of you recall, recall an AD at any school being allowed to hire four different football coaches? This seems unprecedented, and I can't understand why he'd be given another chance to hire the right guy. Isn't the definition of insanity repeatedly doing the same thing and expecting different results? I can't remember a coach being uh, an AD being allowed to hire four different football coaches. I think, did Garrett get all three? Did he get Carroll and then Kiffin and then Sarkeesian? No. Um, he, well, he was inherited the USC's, like the last couple of ADs have inherited, uh, the last, oh, the, right, right. Hayden. I'm somehow forgetting Pat Hayden in the middle of that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So even when, so I think when Mike Garrett got the job, he inherited John Robinson, I want to say. I have to go back. And so I think, and it's always happened the last three athletic directors. Um, and so Hayden inherited, uh, Lane Kiffin and, uh, Lynn Swan inherited, uh, Clay Helton. So they've, it's been really weird. They've like had outgoing athletic directors like hiring coaches. And so you're, it's just a bad way to start, right? You don't want to start off the athletic director tenure and you, you got this brand new coach that you might not have hired to begin with or probably wouldn't have. Yeah. And I, I think that's what, uh, our, our guy here, Bruin Bryan is addressing. Cause if, if Dan Guerrero makes that hire, it'll be his fourth football coach. So first, uh, to address the question, I, I don't think there's any chance that Dan Guerrero is going to be let go. Um, I think he's got some great job security. You know, UCLA runs in the black. They make money. Um, and I, I think in this kind of economic time, I think that's maybe more of a priority than a lot of fans would like it to be. Um, and, uh, I, I think that has bought him a ton of job security. And then, um, He's, I, I don't think his retirement date's probably until 2019 at this point. So it's probably still a couple years. Um, so it's going to be, look, it's going to be one of two things. Either Mora gets it together and gets through the next couple of years. And if he gets through the next couple of years, he's probably good for a while because it'll mean he's rebounded or Guerrero is probably hiring the next football coach. Now, if he's got a retirement plan in place, I don't think it would be the kind of thing where he's making that decision unilaterally. I would think there's going to be a lot of input from a lot of different voices at UCLA. So there's that. Perhaps some solace to take if you haven't been happy with his hires. Um, but I don't, I, I don't think there's a scenario where more is let go in the next two years where Guerrero isn't making the final say on the hire. So that's, that's what I would say on the subject. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like, what fans find important and even like us in the media or t- you follow the team, what's important to us or, you know, it's not always important to what the president of the university thinks. And, and you know, even like if athletic directors are not happy with what Larry Scott's doing, if the presidents are and they feel they're getting, you know, women's lacrosse on television, they're fine with it. Right. Even though you're like, Hey, 
in the long haul, they're you're hurting all of these schools' football programs, which make all the money, and they're falling, falling further and further behind other major conferences and legitimate concerns from fans, and even to the point where it gets up the athletic directors, they're concerned about it. Doesn't necessarily mean that's what's important to the people that make the decision. So, like you said, they're running the black. They upgrade facilities. If they got to fire more and hire a new coach, I, you know, my guess is they're going to be happy, you know, with the way the job Guerrero is doing, even if fans aren't happy with it. Exactly. Uh, Steve gave us, um, the advice we followed, uh, for our, uh, podcast. So thanks, Steve. Um, what do we have? Okay. So we've got, um, this is from Tessa, uh, Washington and USC. The prevailing media narrative, with the exception of you guys, is that when USC doesn't play as well as they should against OK teams, Western Michigan, Texas, then the other team, quote-unquote, came to play, and USC is still a playoff-caliber team. But when Washington doesn't play as well as they should against OK teams, Rutgers, the Huskies are not as good as last year and will not make the playoffs because they are bad. Is this all preseason rankings at work, a legacy name in the Pac-12 getting more credit from people on the East Coast who don't watch the games? Is UW actually bad and not a playoff-caliber team? I'd love your thoughts. I have some thoughts. First of all, you're a female listening to our show. Are you okay? Like, is everything all right? Hey, we've got we've got a lot of female listeners. We, actually, yeah, we do have some. I'm, it's just I'm funny. Repping, repping for the women folk out there. Yeah. Um, I'm not, you know, obviously, I'm, you know, we love it. We, if, if every one of our listeners was female, that'd be great. So It would be so much better. We'd get such better questions all the time. So, um, thanks for writing in, Tessa. This, is this all preseason rankings at work? No, but I think there is an interesting effect. USC is, and I think you nailed it kind of in your second question, which is a legacy name in the Pac-12 getting more credit from people on the East Coast who don't watch the games. I think there is that effect. I think USC's just kind of, kind of got sort of a passive sense in everyone's head that USC should be a certain way. And so you've got a little bit of confirmation bias at all times, because if you're looking objectively at what USC's done this year, they've had one game where I think we would all say, Hey, they played about up to their potential or about up to what we thought was their potential going into the year against Stanford. And otherwise kind of just look good, not great, not wonderful, not even like super above good. I mean, Western Michigan hung with them into the fourth. Texas really could have beaten them if Sam Darnold doesn't break out some real heroics at the end. Uh, Cal played them closer than that 30-20 to 20 is going to look at the end of the year. And Washington State beat them by three, and frankly, it could have been more. Um, so USC has some stuff to figure out. I, they're, I mean, objectively, five games into the year, they are not as good as I think anybody was expecting them to be this year. And... But I, I wouldn't say that means that Washington also hasn't looked completely right. Like, they haven't looked completely the way I thought they might look this year. Um, well, you know, I was expecting them to take actually a small step back, but the schedule was so much easier that they would kind of be in this position. So maybe they look about what I was expecting. Um, but, you know, the running game having some issues to start the year. Um, they've since kind of figured those out. I think Washington is showing clear signs of a team that's playing a little bit better. As time goes on, and USC's looking like a team that's playing about the same and has played about the same through five games, and they've had some injuries, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it. Where where do you stand on this? I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, there's some of it for sure, but I think Washington's built up enough uh, goodwill with voters and every. I mean, people feel that Chris Peterson's a great coach, that this is a great team, but you're talking about what we have eight months off, and what's the last thing they saw? Alabama pretty much thrashed Washington. What's the last thing they saw with USC? Like one of the greatest Rose Bowls ever and Sam Darrell being right. magic. And there was like 
20 freaking features written on Sam Darnold during the offseason. We, we engaged in like hagiography on this podcast <laughs> about Sam Darnold. We were like sainting the guy. And uh, then he goes out and throws eight picks, makes us look really dumb. Yeah. Like he's making us look really dumb. Stop doing that. But I think yeah, a lot of it's like the last thing you've seen. Um, and I think you're willing to believe when you know that someone that's getting a bunch of five, a program that's getting a whole bunch of five-star guys, if the recruiting rankings are very high and USC usually is, it's easier to believe that they're turning the corner. And, and I think we've seen it with UCLA too. Like people will pick them to be a, they, they have a good team. Like, Oh, Rosen's great. This guy looks great. Like playoff team. Like we've seen that happen. Uh, maybe more because it's LA market. I'm not sure, but. Um, I don't see that being some sort of slight with Washington. I mean, Washington's there. I mean, they made the playoffs. Like the, the proof is in the pudding. It happened. Won the Pac-12. You know, you beat Colorado. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't a great game against Alabama and it kind of got, you know, uglier at the end. But I think if you're a Washington fan, you're there. You have an amazing head coach. He recruits his own way that, so maybe you're not bringing in like the, a top five recruiting class every year. But it's his own system. He gets his guys in there and he's replaced NFL dudes that were like, Oh, there's no way you can replace these guys and still be a, you know, good defense. Well, they do and they do it every year. So I, I, if I'm watching fan, I'm not feeling bad at all about this. And who really cares what people are saying? It's about, you know, what happens in the end. Um, you know, you go to the playoff two years in a row and I don't think people are going to assume USC is going to go. They're going to assume, Hey, Washington's the team to beat. So that's my thoughts. Yeah. I think that makes sense. All right. Um, all right. So this is from Steven. What's going on with the Beavers? Hey, guys. First off, thanks for the show. My fiance and I have been listening from episode one. We are out in Texas now and look forward to your show every week to stay up to date with what's going on with the Pac-12. Unfortunately for us, we are both Oregon State grads and we can't help but wonder what is happening this year. Gary Anderson has been a proven coach at this level. The team showed signs of promise last year, and coming into the season, recruitment picked up considerably the last two years. How are the Beavs this bad? What do you guys think happened, and how long will it take to stop? Why don't we like Ryan Nall having the football anymore? Did they shun him in Corvallis after we moved away? Confused in Texas, Stephen. Stephen, I wish I knew. I mean, I was—I ta- forget who I was talking about the other day that was like a Pac-12 football fan, and we were just saying like, you saw the way Oregon, it, Oregon State looked like the classic, like they're building up, building up, and it was going to get better. And Gary Anderson was doing the right things. And man, Ryan Nall can be an absolute beast. He's going to, you know, they can, you know, build around him. And it just, it hasn't happened. And it just like from going that it looks like you have like eight steps forward and, you know, almost there and you're going to be on the road to, you know, making a bowl game, all that kind of stuff. It just looked like it was all set up and it wasn't just like a step back. It's like major steps back. And I, I wish I could put my finger on. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. It, it doesn't seem like there's a complete lack of talent. It seems like a talented kind of coaching staff, but it's just sometimes it's like a puzzle that you have. It, it pieces just kind of blew all over the place. It's, it, it's kind of delicate. You need it to all kind of fit and work and you speculate. It looks like you guys are going to get all these pieces and put them together. It just hasn't happened. And I don't know if you have a better answer, Dave, but I'm just not sure why. It's an exceptionally young team, but I hate using that as an excuse because a lot of teams can win. Yeah. With, um, but it is really freshman laden, especially on defense. Like it's just, you know, it's a team that you can probably expect to be better. I think we all just saw the narrative of Gary Anderson building something and it was getting a lot better. Um, but they are just starting a lot of youth. And I think everyone, and this goes for Oregon State media included, I think everyone is expecting, Hey, 
you know, they've got a thing going here, and it's it's the coaching staff really building it up, and it looks like this is going to go places even with replacing a lot of guys. Um, and I just, you know, it, it takes time, and I think they're kind of, they've gone back to essentially where they were when Anderson started, mostly because, uh, well, I can't speak to mostly, maybe there's internal workings in the program, but if you look at the roster, it's really freshman-laden. A lot of the talent, especially on defense, is on the freshman or sophomore side of the side of the equation so I, I think there's hope for the future i think it's important to be patient with gary anderson because he is a good coach he's got a proven track record he's won at utah state which is not an easy place to win um and he did some nice things at wisconsin before leaving um so i think he'll get it figured out but um obviously not a good start to this year um i think there'll be patience with him but if they you know if they go one and eleven I think that patience is going to be worn pretty thin, and then next year will be kind of a put-up year for him, and he's got to hope that he develops enough of these young guys to actually put together a credible year next year. But I can see I would be frustrating. If I was a fan, I'd be frustrated because, you know, you, you saw things going in the right direction last year. We thought it was a potential bull team this year. A lot of people thought it was a potential bull team this year, and that's pretty obviously not going to happen now. Um, but... If you're taking the long view, I, I still I still think Anderson can put it together there, but certainly this put a this put a little bit of a, a chink in that armor. Yeah. All right, we got some more. You ready for some more? Man, okay. All right. Garbage power rankings. This is from our friend <laughs> Hithliday Almond. Uh, per your request last week, here is a list of excuses each of the twelve programs make for themselves. Small but important caveat: rank not on how deplorable each thing is, but how. <clears throat> bullshit it is thanks for the license to swear all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna go through the excuses they use when they i think apparently lose football games and you tell me in what order we should uh we should classify these in terms of how bs they are ready okay arizona we're a basketball school uh arizona state can't recruit to phoenix uh cal we're literally out of money uh, Colorado, the administration hates football. Oregon, Eugene is practically Corvallis. Oregon State, Corvallis <laughs> is actually Corvallis. Uh, Hithoday Almond might actually be me. Um, Stanford, academic requirements aren't lowered for football. UCLA, Chianti Dan Guerrero. USC, NCAA sanctions are somehow still in effect. Uh, Washington spent 25 years failing to replace Don James. And Wazoo can't find 30, 33,000 drunks in Pullman. Oh, this is such a good wow. list. It's very good. Um, what's the most BS excuse in here? I'm a, I'm a Chianti fan, so I would say, you know, what's wrong with Chianti Dan Guerrero? He's, he's See, hired This is an old um, trope <laughs> about Dan Guerrero because he put up some, like, it was like some travel to Italy with Dan Guerrero thing, and it was talking about fine Chianti, and for whatever reason, it has become, like, a a trope <laughs> among UCLA fans to call him Chianti Dan, but yeah. I think the reference here is more towards the Dan Guerrero side than the fact that he's Chianti. Okay. So, um, is is he a BS reason, I think, yeah. um, as an excuse? I think so, too. I think the AD, yeah, it matters, uh, but, I, well, I don't know if it's BS. I mean, I think he has made some pretty bad hires, but he's also made some fine ones. I mean, yeah. Ben Howland was a fine hire in basketball. Jim Mora was a fine hire for three years. Just yeah. hasn't worked out, and maybe he doesn't fire as quickly as he should, but I don't think this is top BS. I think this is, like, middle-tier BS. Should we go, like, who do we think are the top BS ones? Or <sighs> Can't recruit to Phoenix? 
I feel like that's something you can do. That's, that's complete BS, yeah. That feels like complete BS. You can't so find 33,000 drunks in Pullman. You can find plenty of drunks in Pullman. Yo, you I, can find all the drunks in I Pullman. I played the, the Coog. I love the Coog. You can find drunks there. That's that's BS. Um, uh, uh, see, Cal literally out of money. Like, that's yes. Like, okay. That's that's 100% true. So that's, <laughs> that's at the bottom of the list. Um, Corvallis is actually Corvallis. I think that's second on the bottom of the list. I don't it's think that's BS good, at yeah. all. Too good. Um, Eugene is practically Corvallis. I made that argument just a little bit ago, but I'm going to push back on it right here because <laughs> Eugene is actually kind of nice. It's got like a nice river by it. Um, Nike's poured so much money into that stupid city um, <laughs> that uh, I, I don't think that's fair. I think Eugene being practically Corvallis is like middle tier BS. Yeah, um, but really good. Maybe even high BS because yeah. um, I think they've done enough to pour money into it. Uh, Stanford's academic requirements aren't lowered for football is very low on this list. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a legit excuse. The administration um, hates football for Colorado. It's like, eh, that's bull. That's bull. Um, we're not really doing a uh, doing justice to like a full list here, but we're kind of giving you. A it's feel so very for. hard to do that. Uh, USC's NCAA sanctions are somehow still in effect. So I have heard this like kind of excuse, like, but we've only been practicing with a full eighty-five for like two full years now. It sucks. Um, so I'm going to put this at the the higher end of the BS. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. All right. Um, and then Washington spent 25 years failing to replace Don James. Did we already do that one? No, it doesn't really. It didn't really resonate with me. So it's yeah, whatever you feel. Like. Yeah. All right. So the most BS things. Uh, oh, in Arizona, it's a basketball school. I think that's yeah, pretty close. So I'd say middle BS. Um, so the most BS we say can't recruit to Phoenix. Um, and yeah, pretty much can't recruit to Phoenix is up there, and uh, Eugene being practically Corvallis, those both feel like BS to me. All right. All right. You ready for the next one? Sure. All right. Uh, the, oh, this is this is from uh, David, and he's also giving us um, some advice on how to uh, how to organize the podcast, which uh, we we've taken. We've kindly. already done that. Okay. Right. But thank you, David. Oh, are you going to read it still? Okay. No, no, no. This is from Brady. Oh, okay. Question for week five. Yeah, we have are you a bunch of questions. Steam? Are I'm you like, losing steam? Do you need a Do you need a coffee? Uh, yeah, I don't drink coffee, but and so I'm I'm do weird. You need a, like a shot of some sort of amphetamine. Like, what do we need? Uh, no, I'm good. I just have okay. I have another podcast to do after this, so I'm like, you, know, you have kids to take care of. I have to like do this all over again. <laughs> all right, but we'll do it. We'll do it. We, we, if we got questions, out. we'll do it. Like they they sent they, us questions, so we'll. This is what we do here. Yeah. All right. There is a question here. Uh, Ryan, first off, love the podcast. I'm on my second season of listening to you and Dave. Regardless of what I'm about to say, I'm a huge fan of your contribution to the podcast, like the lighthearted approach you take and a seemingly nonpartisan take on the conference. I've been a Washington State season take holder for the past 12 seasons, and I'm in general a huge fan of all things Pac-12, with the obvious exception of anything UW. I've traveled four to five times per year to Pullman from either Seattle, Boise, Portland, or Eugene, and typically hit two road games a year. I have to say I'm shaking my head when I see the USC reporting of the w, of the Washington State versus USC game this weekend, in particular the notion that the Cougar fan base was somehow, quote-unquote, not the classiest. Retweeted by you from Keely Ewer. Ewer? Keely Ewer, yeah. Let's face it, the classless fans are always the ones you lose to on the road. I've had F-bombs dropped on me from 80-year-old women in Palo Alto, a two-bird salute from an entire sorority house in Eugene, a 7-year-old told me I smelled like cat poop in Tempe, and told that I was a loser and would coog it in life from some dude in L.A. I can't repeat what has been said to me in Husky Stadium. Isn't this all part of the allure of the road? 
Good old-fashioned resentment, name-calling, and punchless hostility. Hashtag no violence. On Friday night, did we have some spirited fans? Oh, yeah. Were some heavily intoxicated? I'm thinking so. Were there naughty comments made to the Trojans? I personally made a few. Let's get real, though. Injuries, bad calls, mean fans, and short weeks, all excuses. It's why we play the games. Fight on for another day. You may well win the war, but you lost the battle on Friday night. Stop rationalizing the loss to name-calling, finger-waving, and stubbed toes. Sometimes even spoiled children get a warm beer. Side note, I was impressed with USC fans around me in Martin Stadium, the Coug, and postgame in the RV lot. So to the question, who are the classiest fans in the conference? Obvious answer. Like, obvious answer here. Stanford. Uh, where can a top five team hit the road, lose, and come home saying, you know, those fans were really nice. I would dare to say they were classy. It's Stanford. Right? I would say, yeah. Because it's like more about they indifference. They break out checkerboard tablecloths. Yeah. It's more about indifference. Like, they, they don't really care. <laughs> yeah, like, they're not really The fact that you're a team that you're showing up is like, you're just there in Palo well, Alto, too, or, you know. If we're going to just nice fans, you got to go with Colorado. Yeah. 100%. 100% nice fans. Okay. Uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, so, Brady. So, uh, try to, I don't want to do this, too. Uh, I've always had, like, of the national media and the local media, Everyone I talk to, they're like, oh, I got to go to Pullman. I've always said, I like going to Pullman. I tried to go up there last minute and I didn't, it didn't end up working out. Um, but there was some really not classy stuff going on. Um, from what, you know, Keely, yours, you know, she's a 21 or 22 year old reporter for us who really felt, uh, she was, it was unsafe where she was on the field. It's very, you're very close. If you listen to her, the video that she put up of the highlights, when USC would, you know, basically the highlights, she would just put the USC highlights up. So something good was happening for USC, something bad for WSU. And you have to put like a not suitable for work tag because all of the, the swearing that was going on behind her, screaming and it was going on and on. Um, she said things were thrown at her. She's not wearing like USC gear. She's just a journalist up there covering. They were mad throwing stuff. Um, when, when they rushed the field, there was like no security. She had to duck into a tunnel because she, she felt she was going to get trampled. She left like thousands of dollars worth of equipment on the field because she couldn't get to it. I know most of the USC media wasn't even able to get to the media room afterwards because there was just this uh, huge influx of people on the field. Um, and I think the thing that um, caused a lot of the firestorm when USC, you know, a lot of USC players got hurt and they were getting booed when they were hurt. Um, so I think that's why. The experience that they, I wasn't there, but the experience that I know she personally had, and she's not someone that, you know, she didn't give a crap. She's covered a lot of games on the home and the road. She told me, I talked to her, she's never had an experience like that covering a game where you just felt like you weren't even safe. So that was kind of the the main take of what was going on there. So that's why I retweeted what she had said. Yeah, and um, if I was rating the fan bases on least classy, and I, I hate to say this because I've liked a lot of Wazoo fans, but Wazoo's up there, and Oregon's probably up there, and Oregon State are probably up there. Those three all kind of bring it, and like I'm not opposed to it, but like they kind of bring it at a different level from the other schools. Like, and I'm not getting into like calling our fan base like a, a pejorative, but like it's the places where I've heard maybe a little bit more racist stuff, like yeah. a little bit more. She just, said there was that going on there for sure. Yeah, just bringing it to a little bit higher level than other schools bring it, and you know it's not my place to like, you know, get into it. And this is you know my experiences with this were as a student like ten years ago, and it might very well have changed. But like when I was rating it as a student. Those were the three areas where I was like, ah, this, this, this is a little, this is a little much. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, not stuff I would hear in Arizona, not stuff I would hear up in the Bay Area, not stuff I would even hear at UW, uh, but it was stuff I would hear at those places. So, you know, just, yeah, I, I don't think that's a completely illegitimate criticism. I think, you know, I, I've that definitely jives with what I remember from those places. And it's funny, but the, maybe the reason I like going to Pullman so much, I think I was in, I don't remember because I'm old, but I think I was in grad school. So uh, I went up there, uh, like a friend from high school, like, her and her husband were, I think her husband was like the athletic director at Idaho. So I went up and I was going to go to the game. I stayed with her at her house in, uh, in Idaho. We went to the Washington State game and I think USC killed them. And I, I had gone to like the Coug on Friday night and I'd met like a bunch of Washington State fans that are like Seattle based. And we all became friends. And one of them was like the six, eight basketball player, former basketball player. They were telling me stories about how terrible like Ryan Leaf was and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, so we were hanging out. And after the game, I go back to the Coug and I like was wearing like a USC sweatshirt and, uh, getting harassed. Like it was like not feeling very comfortable in there. I remember that feeling. It wasn't, uh, pleasant. And though, then my friends, the, the Coug people came in and saw it. And the big, I remember the big basketball player like put his arm around me like I was a little brother or something. He's like, he's off limits. Shut that up, you know? And so like he was like my protector, you know? Um, but it was funny, but I remember that like, it wasn't a good experience now. And I'm, I'm not like in there, like talking shit or anything. It was just, I was in there drinking and, and having fun too. So I get it. I mean, yes, are the major, I'm sure the majority of Washington state fans are not classy. Um, it was definitely a feeling of, you know, this is a really good Washington state team and it didn't act. They were, I didn't seem like they're acting like they had been there before. I, I don't give a, you know, Dave and I cover the teams. The only thing we care about winning or losing is if they're going with our picks at this point. It's just like, it's, it's work, you know, like this is our jobs. Like it's not, I love when people say that, like you're bitter that they love. I'm like, no, like if it created more work for me, then I might be bitter. Like, damn it. Now I got to do this, which actually probably was a little bit of the case here. Um, it creates, it creates more work, but it's not like it, it you, we've lost the, like the, we both, Dave and I both went to other schools that we cover. It's way different when you're like a student or whatever and, and you do this for a job. Like you can't be a fan. You, you lose it and then you, you lose the desire to be a fan. So yeah, but it, yeah, sorry, Brady, if you felt that way, but that I, I mean, Keely's a super nice girl. Like she's never complained about anything like that. This is the first time I've ever heard her complain of the experience at a, an away game. Yeah. All right. Let's do speed round through the last ones. Yeah. My bad. Um, no, no, no. It was great. Um, random questions. Zach and NYC. One, Washington State has beaten the L.A. schools three years in a row. How many players on Wazoo were even offered by UCLA or USC? And can you remember either school losing a, losing a player they wanted to Washington State? Not many. Washington State does not recruit at that high of a no. level. They've recruited pretty well, but not that high. Um, and then also, how big of an indictment is that on both coaching staffs? Yeah. Um, in fact, USC's best receiver, Deontay Burnett, was committed to Washington State up until signing day. Right. And they pulled him to be a gray day. shirt, right? Or a blue shirt or something? He blue shirted at USC. He was going to be a regular recruit at Washington State. So he, right. he right. shunned Washington State on the last day to blue shirt at USC. Yeah, to be like the 26th guy in that class. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big indictment. Um, that's a, actually more of a great thing about Mike Leach. He's able to turn, you know, middling talent into a, What's obviously a Pac-12 contender. Two, Ryan, if the average member of the P was, if the average member of the P was given a gun and two bullets, then placed in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden, and Scott Wolf, like 90% shoot Wolf <laughs> twice, right? All right, this isn't, this actually isn't that funny. In well, to, yeah, but, obviously in light of whatever stuff that's going on, but. I mean, funny, but like, but like we, we have to pretend it's not. So. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> as we left. Sorry. 
Um, three, if Bama played an all-Pac-12 team picked by you, who do you think would win? And out of curiosity, who's your coach, OC, and DC? Ooh. So we, like, pick the best players from the Pac-12? If they, oh, sorry, if Bama played an all-Pac-12 team picked by you, who do you think would win? And out of curiosity, who's your coach, OC, and DC? I, you know, I think an all-star team is hard because you got to play as a unit. Like, so yeah. I, I think you'd be better off taking, like, like take Washington and, and, just then, see, and add chance. some guys, like add some dudes or something. Like take mostly of what Washington has and give them like your best whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to like put an all-star team together that, you know, and try oh, to play it. I'm going to say something that Washington fans are going to hate so much. Are you ready for it? Uh-huh. Yeah, you take Washington and you just stick Josh Rosen on them. <laughs> just send me your hate mail. Send it to me right now. Send it to me. All of it. All of it. I want it all. I want to drink it in. I want to inject it into my veins. Could you imagine like how good Washington would be if they had a quarterback with an arm? Like that would be amazing. <laughs> just a, so you can send me some too. I'm just joking. Oh my God. We're losing all of our Washington <laughs> listeners and they're probably our third biggest subset right now. God. Drink so much haterade here on the show. All right, four. Uh, true or false? One of Darnold Rosen is going to come back next year. I'll, go, uh, I'll say tr- I'm going to say true at this point. I'm going to say true too because I think our boy Darnold is not yeah. not have the year necessarily expected. I don't think there's much chance at all that Rosen comes back, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, five. The ESPN team with Rod Gilmore and the Swiss cheese guy <laughs> gave the Pac-12 refs a run for their money this week at who sucks at their job most. True or false? True. True. Very true. <laughs> Very true. It was so bad. They were so bad that I explained it to Ryan, who didn't even listen to them, and he's like, true. <laughs> All right. So that's Zach. Now we've got our man, Nick. All oh, right. Nick. Hopefully it's true. Right, I'm, I'm going to read this super quick. Okay, ready? Do, it, do it quick. With the typos right, and everything. Down questions. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21, USC from the P. USC 27 versus Washington State 30. Well, this was a debacle by USC. So many opportunities to win, even with injuries, bad play calling, bad refereeing, which isn't new, LOL. But I have said this since the podcast began. Mike Leach is a great coach and has gotten the most out of that team since he's been there. He's always over-exceeded Ryan and Dave's opinion of the team. What? Good job, Cougars. SC needs to get it together, or we will be like UCLA. ASU 24 versus Stanford 34. What else can you say besides Bryce Love getting 300 yards on the ground, stack the box, ASU put 11 guys in it. Bryce Love is halfway to 2,000 yards running, which is amazing considering he has at least seven more games and maybe a bowl game. ASU Todd Graham still on that hot seat. Cal 24 versus Oregon 45. This game was close up until the final 10 minutes where Oregon took over. Big bounce back by Oregon after losing to ASU. Cal needs to get it back in the win column. Losing isn't fun. UW 42 versus Garbage 7. I believe I believe he misspelled Oregon State. Uh, UW 1, as they should. The other team will go 1-11. and 11. Enough said. This is a blowout. Colorado 23 versus UCLA 27. Big win by UCLA this week, holding off Colorado to win the game. Defense showed up when it needed to, and special teams made field goals to win. Rosen is probably playing the best quarterback behind former walk-on Luke Falk. Questions. Who's your biggest surprise team this year and biggest disappointment this year? Um, I mean, Oregon State, big, biggest disappointment. Just cause, not because I thought they were going to win. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we thought they'd like kind of be a bowl team. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'm super surprised by Washington State. But, I mean, they're really – I mean, I think they're really good. So maybe, they, maybe they'll get mine. Um, That's mine. Yeah, yeah. mine too. Uh, second question is, with Shoegate affecting college basketball recruiting, do you see the FBI going after teams in college football the same way? Recruiting is a dirty business with issues in both of those sports. I think so, but I think a lot of the shoe stuff with college football recruiting on the 7-on-7 circuit is still in such an early stage that I don't know how much 
you know, I don't know how much there is to discover. I know somebody on Twitter was saying, oh, 7-on-7 is just as dirty as AAU. And anybody who says 7-on-7 is just as dirty as AAU has never actually uh, (laughs) been to an AAU basketball game ever in life um, or seen any of the underside of that business because it's – I think they're Uh, trying – football players don't sell shoes. Basketball players sell shoes. That's the bottom line. Well, and it's simple quantities, right? You've got, you know, maybe – 200 basketball recruits every year who are anything like halfway decent, but you've got maybe a thousand football recruits. I mean, it's just, you know, it's different. It's a different sport. It's a different whole thing. And it's just hard to influence at the level that you can in basketball. All right. Uh, week five. This is from Alex from NYC. Hello, Dave Intolerable Trojan. I was wondering on your thoughts on the following issues, comparing teams to sweaty cheese. Yes, you read that right. (laughs) I, I think it's a weird thing to do on a, um, on a telecast, uh, football game. Two, the rise of the state of Washington and what the L.A. schools need to do um, to win some more games. I mean, LA, so I don't think it's – UCLA and USC have the pieces to be yeah. better than the Washington schools. It's just can they put it together with the schemes and the coaching and all that other stuff. you gotta, you got to win the Pac-12 championship game. A South team hasn't won. you got to have a South team win. So those are South teams. They, they need to, to win that game. They haven't done it yet. And then number three, letting Dave take a break from, break from answering this question hundreds of times. Ryan, what do you think about the job Mora is doing and are fans reasonable in wanting him to be fired? I mean, it's, it's like, it's like what you want to be, you know? I mean, there's, he's, he's gotten UCLA to a certain level. It was better in the beginning. I think UCLA fans put a lot of stock in beating USC. So even if it, you know, you're, you're doing this it, pretty good stuff and you beat USC, it, you get by. You're doing pretty good stuff and you lose to USC, then it's like, it's harder. So I think they, I think you saw the fans put a lot of stock in that game. And then you're like looking at, well, what really matters? So what really matters to you is, do you want to win the Pac 12 South? Um, if he's not able to do it again and you got, you know, a generational quarterback, um, I think there's, you know, reason that he would be on the hot seat. I'm just not sure. I think it could be a mediocre team and they beat USC and the fans are happy. So there's not going to be pressure to fire. Right. Four, what would Dave Pash and Bill Walton be like calling one of these late-night ESPN Pac-12 games? I would pay money, <laughs> money, real physical money to hear that. Yeah, that I would love great. to hear Walton's, like, you know, disputing of facts, like, that's not targeting, like, just whatever. <laughs> like, would be think like... about the, uh, people who watch the UCLA-Colorado game, think about how much more fun that terrible game would have been if, like, Walton just stopped paying attention halfway through. And was just starting to ramble about things. Like, <laughs> at least I would have had something interesting to pay attention to. Because occasionally he dropped some knowledge. Yeah. It would have been so much fun. Um, all right. And then final question. We're finally at the end here. Oh, by the way, Alex, thank you for calling me a tolerable Trojan. There you go. Um, Alex from Pasadena this time. Oh. Uh, if you could change one thing about the Pac-12, what would it be? Officiating? Scheduling? East Coast perception? Anything else you can come up with? I would put all the games between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. Pacific time. 9 a.m. and 12, and 12 p.m. Pacific. Time. So morning games. I want all of the games <laughs> done before I even have to think about putting my children to bed. Ah, uh, I see. Okay, um, all at once. So you'd have to get like multiple TVs. Um, I think officiating is is bothersome, and I think most conferences feel that it is. And I, I a lot of schools they'll tweet us and they're like, "Hey, it's they they hate Washington State or they hate I mean." Everyone thinks they hate him. I think it's just general incompetence and it shouldn't be that way. Um, I think that's bad. I think the scheduling is bad too. Um, I think, and John Wilner had a really good column, um, earlier today, I think it was, where the Pac-12 is like, 
would, you know, USC had to go, uh, you know, no bye week, short week, back to back road games playing like a tough Washington state team on a Friday night. Would, would the SEC do that to like an Alabama or a Georgia if they were like favored to win, you know, other conferences seem to want the, to promote their better schools. Like, do you want to screw Washington over? Cause they have a good chance to make the playoff and give them a tough schedule with like back to back crappy road tra- or like, you don't want to do that. You want to like, you don't want to make it easy on them, but you don't want to like make it harder on them to represent the Pac 12 and make more money. They go to a, you know, a New Year six thing. Um, stuff like that. It just seems like they don't have the interest of making the conference more powerful as far as money goes, as far as, you know, football goes there. They want to like make it spread it out among everyone. And I, I just don't think you're going to win a lot if you're like that as a conference. So those are things I would say. What do you say, Dave? You know, I, I kind of go back and forth on the scheduling thing because I get your point and I get Wilner's point. But also, like, has USC looked like a playoff contender to you at all this year? No, no. So, it, I mean, the, I mean, the like way one I get it, like, yeah, they could have been protect, protected for another few weeks. But, I mean, at some point, unless they got a lot better. Right. They'd or, have like, to turn it around. Show. Like you, you can't like manufacture a playoff run, but you could, right. you could derail yeah. one. And I think that's what exactly. he was saying. And I think they, I don't know that they necessarily even have yet because Washington state looks pretty good. Right. Yeah. So this is the game where suddenly, you know, the bill came due. Right. And USC is like, Oh crap, we just lost. And so that lets you have some information early enough in the season where you can still fix some things. Right. And yeah, they don't get a bye week and that's probably more of the issue for me. I think, scheduling Washington State early in the season, late in the season, I think it would have, you know, caused this issue regardless. You're playing them on the road. But um but but getting this in September, they have some time to fix some things. The issue is they just don't get a bye week. They don't get a week yeah. off. Um and that's probably the silly part of the scheduling. And I, I um, think no one should have a road game followed by a weekday road game. Like that's no, that's crazy. That's dumb. That's crazy. And that's it keeps yeah. happening to people. Like you know, well, and UCLA has it later on in this year. It's gonna be at Washington and then followed by an at Friday at Utah. Yeah. So I mean, just, that's ridiculous. Like how that's, that's not giving, that's I not don't giving, think there's a yeah. person there giving it, um, as much thought as needs to be done. Um, because they should be like, and I, I'm, I'm, this is where I keep going back and forth. Cause I am kind of with you that like the teams that are, that everyone is projecting as like the top four in the league should be given, like, not like, you, like you shouldn't remove teams from the schedule and do weird stuff like you know suddenly make them home games when they should have been road games or whatever. I don't like that, but make sure they have a bye week in the first like six weeks, like just you know something silly like that. Like that would be a, a good move. I think they're that that piece of it because you know USC is a little nicked up right now. It's not like they've had a ton of guys get season enders already. They could use a bye week just to, to kind of get some guys a little bit on the mend. Um, so that they can be somewhat healthy for the back half of the schedule. Um, and maybe they'll get that sort of against Oregon State this week, but. And it, I mean, it's, there's built in toughness too. Just be, you know, the nine conference games. Like, I'd probably yeah. better with eight, you know, and they're like, well, you want to make sure that all the schools get to travel to California. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there like, okay, but you're, you're making it a lot harder. You're giving everyone an extra loss or, you know, half the team's an extra loss. And then having like a Pac-12 championship game along with that. And like on a Friday every other year. So like, you know, is that fair to Washington? They're going to play a tough game against Washington State in the Apple Cup and then six days later play in the Pac-12 championship game. Maybe they play against USC who has a bye before. I mean, it's just stuff that you're like, it's not ideal, I would say. Yeah, I agree. All right, that's it. We've got no more questions. We are tapped out. We are, everything is, we are, we are, we are bone dry at this point. Well, good thing because we're almost at a two hour mark. 
how did we do that? Do, I thought we were going to be we more. We were fun. doing so well until we got to the questions. People sent in like 20 questions. We might actually have to just go in and select questions next time because this was an insane amount of questions. Wow. Maybe we won't get as many next week, but this was crazy. We did a lot. And thanks for the voicemails. Those are great. We love those. And then, uh, you know, we love you guys sending in the questions. We'll try to, we'll try to read them all. I've like for the USC one, it's got to the point where it's just hard. I'm doing like three or four a week and I'm still can't even read all the questions. If we get to that point, I mean, that's great. We love people sending them in, but don't stop. Like, please send them in. We'll do our best to answer. As long as you don't mind us talking for two hours. Um, you know, Dave's kids are probably like tearing the house up and everything right now. They're just uh, gnawing on my feet. It's weird. <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> they haven't been fed for a while. Yeah. Um, you got to leave a water bowl or something out, Dave. I, I can give you a book on parenting, you know, help you out a little bit or <laughs> something. <laughs> uh, Maybe a little Jack Daniels to like put him to sleep. Maybe we'll knock him out for a couple hours and. Yeah, little children, they transition from being essentially drunks for their first two years to being like dogs. And that they become humans sometime around eight or nine. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, good luck with that. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm the tolerable Trojan, Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.